I had to ask somebody to my senior prom. <laughs> did you really, bro? So pathetic. Oh. <laughs> How'd you do loser. it? Did you do? Did you make a big deal of it? Did oh, you like God, no. ride in on a llama? No. <laughs> like, because the kids today do that. They yeah. try to have a big yeah. old. It, I mean, Promposals. the the promposal is there as important. That it's got to go viral. Oh. We went to Bonanza in his pickup truck. <laughs> Is that code? <laughs> Swear to God. Sounds like code. Wow. Don't you go to Bonanza! <laughs> Did he make you a, a corsage? Was your corsage just a fern with a wristband on it? <laughs> a fern three feet tall. Potted plant. Potted, potted plant. <laughs> Randy Bauman and the DVE Morning Show. The Chris Letang on the fans back to Kessel. Wristing one block, gets it back, shoots it. That handcuff will be rebound. The Penguins walk into the score. The Penguins seem to think it might be in, but it's not apparently. The referee right there on the spot did not point to the net that the puck was in. It's a good goal. And Kenny Malkin will get it. That one was in, and the Penguins defeat the Capitals 3-1 to last night. It is now a three-game series as they head back to Washington Oof. for a game Saturday night. Oh, not a lot of ice out there last night. That, was, that a, was a great game. That was tight. Great game. Yeah. Mike Pursuit will have more coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll also talk with Josh Getzoff of the Penguins Radio Network at 745. Molly Alphabet in the coffee house this morning. That's all on the way. Here's the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Dormont Appliance. We're loving. It's 62 degrees now at DVEM Val Porter. Hawaii Governor David Ige is declaring an emergency as lava from the Kilauea volcano flows through a neighborhood on the Big Island. Governor said lava is flowing onto streets in a subdivision near the eastern tip of the island of Hawaii. About 1,700 people have been evacuated. Two UPMC doctors are accused of illegally prescribing nearly 10,000 hydrocodone pills to five people. Investigators say 45-year-old Omar Almusa and 43-year-old Marios Papacristo are facing federal health care fraud charges and have been suspended during the investigation. Papacristo pleaded guilty yesterday and is awaiting sentencing in the fall. And prosecutors say five doctors connected to a drug rehab center in Washington County have been indicted by a federal grand jury for illegally giving out controlled substances. The five all work for Redirections Treatment Advocates, which gives suboxone to recovering opioid addicts. In other drug news, but this is good news, the active ingredient in ecstasy might be able to help veterans cope with post-traumatic stress. A new clinical trial studied the effects of the illegal drug on veterans, firefighters, and police officers who develop PTSD in the line of duty. After one year of treatment, 67% of the participants no longer qualified for a diagnosis of PTSD. The lead author of the study says the active ingredient in ecstasy, which is MDMA, is safe and has stimulant effects as well as psychoactive effects. He said the drug has been described as an and pathogen because it tends to increase feelings of empathy and trust. Scientists warn, however, more research is needed. See, I always thought with ecstasy, like it caused a serotonin gush. Mm -hmm. And so you felt this incredible rush of empathy, warmth, want to hug everyone. You want to put Vicks VapoRub on your face and (sighs) maybe chew on a binky for a little bit and tell everyone how much you care about them. But then... It, it sort of like depleted your 
monthly allowance of serotonin. So the drop off oh. was you felt like dog crap for a the week. The rest of the time. Yeah. Not yeah. sure, but uh seems like good results from this study so yeah. far, but they said, yeah, more research is needed. And back to the gutter here, a New York woman accused of offering up sexual favors in exchange for a ride. Police in Niagara Falls say a man saw Rhea Walker crying along a road recently and stopped to help. He ended up giving the 24-year-old a ride, but says she then made a scene when he refused her payment offer of sexual uh, advances. Police say when they showed up, she screamed insults and obscenities at them and even kicked one of them in the shin. She eventually ended up in a jail cell on disorderly conduct and harassment charges. And no surprise, this story is out of Florida. A woman says she woke up at 2 in the morning by what sounded like an animal outside on her patio. Turns out she wasn't completely wrong, although there was no sign of a bear or an alligator or a snake. There was a random man sprawled out naked, pleasuring himself. Oh. The woman called police and reportedly... <laughs> Uh, told police she heard him moaning while enjoying his own company. She said he had massage oil and a sex toy with him also. Wow, he brought the whole kit and caboodle. All right. Police arrived and found 30-year-old <laughs> Christopher Worrell completely naked. He refused to answer officers' questions and was arrested for lewd and lascivious behavior. He had just taken some MDMA. <sighs> In music news, Yes is celebrating its 50th anniversary with the release of a vinyl set featuring remixes of five of the band's classic albums, available June 29th. Yes, the Stephen Wilson remixes includes remixed versions of the Yes album, Fragile, Close to the Edge, the double album Tales from Topographic Oceans, and Relayer. Yes was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. The 17th annual Austin City Limits Music Festival lineup is set. Over 125 bands will be performing across eight stages over two weekends, uh, October 5th through the 7th and 12th through the 14th in Austin, Texas. Paul McCartney and Metallica among the headliners. Tickets are on sale now at the festival's official website if you want to make a trek down there. And finally, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the book about the Golden State Killer by Patton Oswalt's late wife, Michelle McNamara is heading to HBO as a docu-series. Suspect in the case, Joseph James D'Angelo was arrested just last week. McNamara's book about the alleged serial killer's crimes was published earlier this year, and many think that's what led to finding him. McNamara was the one who dubbed the perpetrator the Golden State Killer, who committed dozens of rapes and 12 murders in California in the late 70s and early 80s. McNamara died in 2016. I uh, read the book, or I, I actually I listened to the book. I got the audio book and listened to it on my way down to Kentucky last weekend and then finished it on the way back. Mm -hmm. And it is so beautifully written. And... It's so heartbreaking for so many different reasons. But Patton Oswalt's wife was completely obsessed with catching this guy. Mm -hmm. And she died. Did she have a tie or it was just like no, a personal no, she, she was into it? No, she she witnessed um, one of a, a neighbor when she was 14 years old be uh, murdered. And she, she wasn't a witness to it. I shouldn't say that. She she Somebody that lived around her was murdered. And the case was cold, mm -hmm. and they never, never found they never found the guy, and she just became sort of obsessed with um, this guy who had so many different names. They called him Eron's, which was basically he was the East Area Rapist. 
He was the original Night Stalker. He was the Ransacker. Because he was in several, it was up and down the coast. He was all over the coast. He was up in the Bay Area. He was in Sacramento. He was in Ventura. He was in Orange County. And she went through so, reading her book, you just get the, you just get the idea. There has been 8,000 suspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this case, over 40 years so many people have dedicated their entire careers and post careers to trying to catch this guy. And she died before the book was ready to be wasn't published. even finished. No. So Patton goes to a couple other journalist friends of theirs and and some people that he knew and help organize the book and put the chapters together. And it's just she's such a great writer and it's it's so harrowing the, the the things that this guy was doing but the fact that that she was able to bring more light to this case which a lot of people don't know especially on the east coast like i had never heard of this guy yeah this these kind of stories fascinate me too and i never heard of it i mean this the fact that they caught him and the way that they caught him they caught him on like one of those ancestry.com mm-hmm. like one of those genealogy websites which is which is you know start sparking some controversy because you know they, they it's sort of Privacy a loophole issues. yeah because they had entered his DNA <clears throat> evidence that his DNA was on in databases across the country for years and nothing there was no matches and they basically traced it to a distant cousin brought it all the way back to him started surveilling him got something that he discarded, matched it, and and knocked this guy's door down, basically. Crazy. And it is just because he terrorized that entire state for a decade. And, and hasn't, has been quiet for oh, yeah. 30 years. 80, 86, yeah. I think, was his last crime. Forecast today, maybe some rain. Temperatures in the 80s. It's 62 now at DVE. Jake Gensel, nice game from him last night. Two goals. And Niskanen doesn't have a stick. But the Capitals are able still to steer it up ahead. And now smith Pelly gives Niskanen a stick as the Penguins turn back into the play. To see Moen in front. Shooting the puck. It's in. The Penguins, of course. Simone shot and he may have hit somebody in front. Gensel may have touched that puck. And the Penguins have taken a one nothing lead. Holy cheese and crackers. The Penguins get the first goal in this game. To the left wing corner. Hope he's out. Matang went back forward. Hope he's gone again. Crosby finds the puck. Got a man open. Gensel. Open net. Can he put it in? He does. And a battle breaks out with Ochi. And one of the Penguins on the backside. It's Matang, I think. As the Penguins have scored the empty netter by Gensel. But a fight between TJ Ochi and Chris Matang after the goal was scored. So Gensel will get his second, and the kitchen is closed. Another questionable hit, uh, TJ Oshian. Oh That's God. what prompted that fight. So Mike's going to have a full sports report coming up at the bottom of the hour. It's the DVE Morning Show. DVE Sports. It took a double replay review for what became the game-winning goal in Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals between the Capitals and the Penguins <laughs> to officially pass muster. That's how close it was last night at the PPG Paints Arena. That's the 
battle level that both, both the pens and caps threw at one another. Getting Malkin diving into the crease. Patrick Hornquist face down with Brooks Orpik on top of him. Lars Eller, Devontae Smith, Pelly, seemingly everybody on the ice in the blue paint, jabbing and hacking away. And then a five plus minute double replay review. That about something summed up uh, Penn's three, Caps one, did it not? Yeah, it did. What a game. Parallax angles be damned. <laughs> Milkshakes taste better when you have to wait. That was something. The Penguins. What, tell me the difference between that goal and the one the other night that was ruled not a goal. I think there was a, a over the top angle. Yeah, there was that showed the puck in, and I don't think there was one. On well, the his Horn- pad was covering on the Hornquist goal. Yeah, on the they, uh, on they the kept other looking, one. kept looking. Last, they finally found one where, for a moment, you could see the puck was well in, and then the Caps pushed it back out. Then everybody tried to. I think they're trying to block the overhead camera now. (laughs) First guy in, dig the puck out. Second guy, block the camera. They must be coaching that. But throw uh, spitballs at it. What a game! What a play! Here's uh, Evgeny Malkin summing up what took place. I know it's not like diving, but I'm just like look like a puck, like uh, uh, stay close to like uh, net, and I'm try like do my weakness. You know, I'm try like jump and like. uh, play you know like it's like I do it my best I mean like it's not li- like uh, pre-ego but it's good good job Gino it's not like diving but you know it's like I. it like, actually was like right there. I mean he, he shot hit the post and he saw the puck on the line and he dove at it with his stick okay it's like diving you know yeah. um he said it wasn't pretty I thought it was spectacular oh it was the, amazing that shows the effort the effort on both sides last night was tremendous, and that's what it came down to, right? That uh, There was one even-strength goal in the game last night, and each team got one power play. Other than that, Deep. man, it was hard to get it over the red line. It, it mm-hmm. was Every inch was contested. Uh, it looked like a playoff game. Uh, it looked like a playoff game between two teams who are determined to win this series. And it looked like uh, a playoff game between two determined teams that are pretty evenly matched right about now. Uh, Mike Sullivan, for one, appreciated the effort. There wasn't a lot of room at either end out there. I think both teams are defending extremely hard. You know, we went through a stretch of that third period where it was close to 10 minutes. I think we didn't have a whistle. And so we, uh, with the pace of the game, the physicality of the game, we try to keep all four lines in it. We rolled four lines, and, and I thought to a man, I thought we defended hard. We made pretty good decisions with the puck. We stayed above the attack, and uh, when we had opportunities, a lot the, the opportunities that we did get were off of our own defense, and, and I, think, uh, I think it was a solid third period. It's important in a tight game like that. Uh, you know, the, as I said, there wasn't a lot of ice at either end of the rink. Yeah, it was uh, more than a solid third period. Penguins allowed three shots on goal in the third period, protecting what had been a 2-1 to one lead, and then Jake Gensel second of the night, an empty netter on the power play at 19:02, uh, finished off the Pence 3-1 win. Three shots allowed in the third, 21 allowed by the Penguins in the game, and Alex Ovechkin had zero shots and uh, two attempts. And a one, his first attempt was in the third period, and that was – what looked like just a frustration blast. He was in the vicinity of the red line yeah. on his way off the ice, and he just right. took a slap shot 
I, I went off the glass, I think, yeah, didn't it? I can't remember uh, his second attempt. But Did Sid have any shots? Because I thought at one point in the third period they said neither. Yes, Sid had none. Yeah, Sid yeah. and Ovi, neither one had a shot. He only had one attempt. Um, but, the, you know, the Penguins played the way they're capable of playing in that third period. And really for most of the game, they weren't making a lot of bad decisions. They didn't come up with some kind of lockdown schematics to take Ovechkin out of the game. They just played smart. They didn't give up. 15 two-on-ones. They limited the penalties uh, as best they could. They could still do a little better there, but uh, they kept the penalties down. They didn't take a lot of chances. They managed the puck well. You heard Sullivan say they they got it deep and then created defense off offense when the Caps – created offense off of defense when the Caps tried to take chances. That was kind of textbook in terms of how Sullivan wants them to execute. And still it came down to – a goal that had to be reviewed, A, to see if it was actually a goal, and then B, to see if there was goaltender interference, which would have disqualified it as being a goal. Uh, Washington was that close, and uh, Barry Trotz appreciated that. Uh, there wasn't much space out there on both sides. I mean, you look at, I think, after two periods, there was only you know, 15 shots or whatever for each side, uh, roughly. So uh, there wasn't much space. I think both teams were, were, were committed on both sides. So... Um, Will this continue? Yeah, it was, a, it was a fast game. The pace was intense, but it was just hard to get anything done. And it was going on for long stretches without yep. a whistle. And, uh, great playoff hockey last night at the PPG Paints Arena. A couple more points for uh, Jake Gensel with the two goals. He becomes the seventh different player in NHL history to have at least 20 points within his team's first 10 games of a postseason. Gensel has 21 points. Uh, Wayne Gretzky pulled that off five times. Uh, other guys who have done it, Mark Messier, Rick Middleton, and Barry Peterson with the Bruins, Daryl Sittler, and Mike Bossy. So Jake Gensel is uh, hanging out in a pretty exclusive neighborhood, and he just continues. Yeah, I've heard some of those guys. Continues to produce in the postseason. He did it last year. He's doing it again. Good for him. The puck just finds the kid. That's kind of what he said. Yeah, uh, it, it's he's he's almost uh, at a loss to explain it, uh, and he's pretty humble to begin with. But uh, he just said, "I hope it keeps up." <laughs> there will be uh, a game six. Uh, the NHL announced uh, the time for that yesterday. That's going to be Monday night back here at seven o'clock. In the meantime, game five is Saturday. Pens at the Caps. That'll be another seven o'clock start uh, in the nightcap last night. Uh, Nashville beat Winnipeg 2-1. to one. That series, like the Penguins-Caps series, is tied at two games apiece tonight. It's the Lightning at the Bruins, uh, Tampa Bay leading that 2-1, to one, and then the Sharks and the Golden Knights. That series is tied at two games apiece. I'm guessing we're going to get Milbury again on Saturday since Edzo will be at the Derby. Edzo will be at the Derby. How's oh, Milbury doing? He's so miserable. Oh, he's, he's terrible. He's terrible. He, I mean, Brooks Orpik tackled Hornquist by his head and then kept him on the ground in a headlock. I believe that's pronounced Orpec. Orpec, yes. yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Oli Mata. Was Christopher Latang involved? I mean, it, you know, the, the way that he characterizes things is just, yeah. he's such a goon that his perspective is that it's just, it's good hockey out there. I mean, I'm sure he said that that Oshi hit was just Oshi being physical. Yeah, that's kind of what Latang said. Latang. Yeah, he said it's frustration. He, he said it was frustration. And he made a point to explain that 
he didn't think, oh, she was going after his head mm-hmm. or trying to do anything blatantly cheap. He just, you know, that'll happen at the end of a game. You're getting beat in. You know, when they're scoring, I, when they're scoring an empty netter at the other end. Because I thought that same thing, and I was wishing as they were skating yeah. off that Latang would have said, I know, you're frustrated. You're done. <laughs> yeah. It's over. It's done for you. Yeah, and, and he, was, oh, he was really getting after it early. To me, he took it on himself. Now, he's, he's a very good player, but he has a little... Uh, he has an edge. Was he like that crap, with the Blues? Crap to, nah, not as much. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because yeah. I, I used to like him when he played with the he's, Blues. He's picked up the... Every once in a while, he'll disturb and agitate and, and try to get you off your game that way. You say you used to like him? Yeah. Uh, you could still like him. He's one of us, Phil. I know. He, oh, was, she on the, so he was on the Olympic team. Scored all those goals against Bobrovsky, U.S. against Russia. I'll never forget that. Yeah, but that team didn't do squat. No, it didn't. That was embarrassing. But he tried. No, I mean, I, look, for what he did in that one game with the penalty or the shootouts. The shootout. Yeah. Just keep sending Oshi back out there. That was awesome. Yeah. Now if, I hate him. If this ever gets to a shootout, the Pens are going to be in big trouble. <laughs> Feeling that I like that. It was great response last night, and and I don't think you know they didn't come out and dominate, and I don't think they told you they're going to win the series last night. But uh, they, we liked what we saw. They told you this. This is still very important to them in the second series of what might be a third consecutive cup run. They are not satisfied. They they're they're hungry. They're determined. Look they're, like it. They're sacrificing. There was one sequence in the third period when um, Hornquist. Malkin and then Gensel all went down to block shots and kind of relative rapid fire succession. Those aren't usually your top shot blockers. <laughs> right. You know, it, hey, there it is. I got to do this. I'm doing it. Bang. No questions asked, right? Those guys are stepping up. How about that play that Ruedel made on a, it was a it was a breakaway. He has quietly been very good the last couple of games. Making, really? Making some timely defensive plays. It, we I have agree. A, haven't you know the ones he made the other night didn't get publicized at least not by me because they ended up losing the game and but yeah I, I remember the one you're thinking of in the third period he caught up to uh I think it was Verana yeah and, who's and, who's got some wheels and they wound up not really getting anything out of that opportunity um, no he reestablished body positioning and yep. fed it off into the corner they can they can they can shut you down when they commit to it and the the penguins always the, the line they always have to straddle is how much do you allow your offensive skill and creativity you don't want to totally mute that but you don't want to take too many chances toward that end and uh as long as they figure out that hey when you're down in a series two games to one <laughs> then it's time to get serious and, and do it <laughs> by the book so far, so good. Game uh, five on Saturday. Boy, Saturday's going to be a fun day. The, derby, mm-hmm. the Derby and then Pence Caps. Dear Lord. It's going to be one of the great days of the year. I don't ever want to see Tom Wilson in uniform again. I want to see him in his khakis. Golfing attire? Yeah. I hope Mark Madden saw Britt McHenry's tweet last night. Oh, he did. He trolled her. Did he? Good. Oh, my God. I was going to, her. but I'm like, ah, Mark Madden's pretty good at this. Yeah. That's his uh, bailiwick. <laughs> Pirates lost to the Nationals 3-1 to yesterday afternoon. Uh, they get swept uh, four out of four by Washington. Bucks fall to 17 and 15. They are in Milwaukee tonight. Nick Kingham against Junior Guerrero. Jamison Tyone pitches Saturday and Chad Cool on Sunday.
Man, that was fun last night. It was. Nerve-wracking, but fun. That's what it's supposed to be in the playoffs, though, Ooh. right? I don't like it. Can, can you not tell, like, the first round when it started, it was exciting because it was the playoffs and you're back in the postseason. And, you know, this Philadelphia-Pittsburgh thing added a little juice to it. But as that series progressed, it, at least I'm thinking, all right, Flyers, go away. You're pretenders. This this isn't happening. This is now yeah, a we're, real. We're in it. Either one of these teams can win. They're both, you know, Washington's way better than Philly. Penguins are, the, the Capitals are demanding that the Penguins give them their best. And the Penguins are doing it. I love least, this time of year. At least enough to stay tied. Me too. I mean, there's great hockey every night. Yeah. I mean, there's hockey every night for <laughs> I'm actually looking eight forward, months, but it's great right now. I'm looking forward to Sunday because the uh, Vegas-San Jose game starts at 7.30. Get to see Especially a little get bit get to watch out when start to finish. Go Sharks. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Josh gets off of the Penguins Radio Network going to join us at 945 and Molly Alphabet in the Point Park University stage on the stage in the Permanis DVE Coffeehouse. It's all coming up this morning on the DVE Morning Show. It's the DVE Morning Show. Big, big doings this weekend in Pittsburgh. The marathon coming up this Sunday. And Bill, you are running in the marathon again. That's right. How many, how many and I'm going to you... win it this year. <laughs> huh? How many years have you done this? I've done it. I think this will, this will be my third time. Man, good for you. It's, I mean, it's, it's not brave or courageous or anything. It's, it's just hard though. It is. It's difficult. It takes some time to, to prepare your body to, to run that distance. I walked the half marathon once and couldn't walk for three days after that. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, I'm like, it's a lot. I'm walking. I don't need How to train. How long does it take if you walk? Like five, six hours? Um, what time does it start? Uh, like 7.30, I think, the, yeah. the walking started. It was like four and a half, probably. Four. Oh, wow. You had a nice little pace there. I did great the first six miles. Yeah. After that, I started. <laughs> it slowly started going from the feet up. Did you start to realize that, first of all, one thing I never knew, because obviously I'm not an engineer, but anytime you run over a bridge, a bridge is the at the it's, highest point is in the middle. Yeah, it's arched. And I started dreading bridges because, you know, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. And I started realizing, like, even just the most subtle grades, like from the West End Circle to the 10th Street Bridge on Carson, uh-huh. there are several hills that you just never think about because if you've ever driven over there, you're just like, right. you're in a car, it's, it's mindless driving. Mm-hmm. But when you're on foot, oh, it is brutal. And not a lot of people are there kind of cheering you on. In so that section, yeah. You really got to dig deep. Um, it's, it's fun, though. I do it with my buddy Mike Moran. We've been friends for 25 years, and, uh, and he's, he's run the full before. So he's helped me train tremendously, and uh, do your nipples bleed? I tape my nipples. <laughs> I wear I wear tassels <laughs> and no shirt. <laughs> no shirt, and it's a little uncomfortable for the people that are cheering me on. But you know I, what? I, I, Forget that. It's about me. And you know what? Maybe it's weird that I have an umbilical hernia, <laughs> and then my button looks like Baby Stewie's head. But again, that's for them to deal with. It's not my problem. You go by fast so they don't have to see it for long. I can't see it. (laughs)
<laughs> I'm just out there running, living my best life. Oh, that's good. I'm going to go pick up my packet today down at the uh, the expo. And I don't. What's the weather going to be like? I think it's going to rain. Yeah, which it's, is going to suck. I think it's a chance of rain all weekend. Yeah, we clothes get damp. Although the that's t- not going to be fun. The two times that I did it, like I did a relay one year, and then I walked the half marathon. I think it was the next year, and it was like this. Yeah. It, but it was cooler. It was like yeah, it's nice sl- when it's cooler. Low sixties, cloudy, a little drizzle. It's always kind of cold in the morning, and it's funny because the the beginning, you know, downtown when when you're coming up to the the uh, the starting line and and everybody's down there, everybody's layered up, mm-hmm. like everybody has sweatshirts and everything. Yeah, and then the first like mile is just absolutely littered with sweatshirts, <laughs> and there, people come by and collect them and. You know, they, they take them to shelters and mm-hmm. the Goodwill and all that stuff. So it's not just straight litter, but it's just funny because at the beginning, you're freezing. By the end, it's you could be down to the tassels. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wearing a banana thong. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> There's Borat. Uh... Is it uncomfortable for everybody else? Yes. Is it about everybody else? No, it's about me. <laughs> I remember uh, when I did it the first time, the 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 people at the marathon, who are such nice people, they asked me to come speak. And I thought, they were like, will you speak at the expo? And I'm like, oh my God, this is big. It's an honor. Like, I'm thinking it's going to be like a Tony Robbins-like atmosphere where all these thousands and- of people came to see me speak. Yes. And it was not that. There was a <laughs> sheer curtain in the corner. <laughs> And there was like six people in there, and it sounded like a bus station. And I spoke, and nobody knew who I was because it wasn't like any listeners or anything. People would come in from all over the country. Yeah. So nobody got my sarcasm. And <laughs> they were it was like, just what is this? Super guy? uncomfortable because I said, look, guys, I've gone from couch potato to the best shape of my life in just two months. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think I can win this thing tomorrow. And nobody <laughs> laughed, and everybody just stared at me, and they were like, okay, I guess that's it. And they walked out. I was like, guys, I don't think I can win this. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, the, have, the, have you seen anybody poop their pants? Because I did. No. Oh, you, I, I saw you, a woman. Ooh. Well, I didn't see it in action. I saw oh, the after. Oh, I was going to say. No, wow, that's amazing. Like, that lady pooped her pants. Yeah. Um. I haven't seen any of that. They, you know, they have happens. several. Yeah, they have several porta potties. Yes, all over the, the course. Place. But sometimes you're, you know, after you've been running for so long, your organs start to shut down. <laughs> you know, and and honestly, like you, you're you you can have kidney failure. Like it's it's kind of dangerous. That's I mean, why I don't understand these people who run ultra marathons. I don't and, know how they do it. And run multiple marathons like they run marathons every day for however long. Right. How does your body handle that? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. There's a guy who did this this race that's just this it's what the heck is it called? Uh it's it's out in Death Valley and it's basically a 120 mile race. In and 120 degrees. It is so hot. That he said he had to run on the uh, the lines of the road because if he didn't, his the rubber on his shoes would burn. Oh, my God. He said that it was so hot that somebody tried to hand him a sandwich out the car, and by the time he got it and ate it, it was toasted. 
mean, that's that's what are you doing? Like that's no reason for that. There's no reason for it. But I was saying, I was talking to Joe earlier this week, and I was just saying, like, running and racing, like doing the marathon, is the only sport where the absolute best athletes in the world and, you know, Fanny Denunzio from Upper St. Hazelwood are lined up pretty much in the same yeah. area. And I did feel bad when I did when I did participate because I thought these people are looking at me like, get out of the way, you idiot. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, they're not, everybody is so, it's, you're really, it's a battle against yourself. I think I said, I'm sorry about a hundred times. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm in your way. I'm going to do that this year. Sorry guys. <laughs> sorry. We last year when we did the half, uh, this guy ruined the end of the race for me. He totally took me out of my mental zone that I was in. He was making the most aggressive, um and orgasmic noises that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I, I could hear them over my headphones. He was just running up the hill. He's like, ah, ah, ah. I was like, God, dude, can you chill? <laughs> well, good luck on Sunday. Thank you. I'll be posting some it. stuff and uh, yeah, I'll I'll be uh live tweeting the experience. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be uh, having news coming up here next. Josh Getzoff joining us at 745 from the Penguins Radio Network to talk about that nice win with the Penguins uh, nice. from the Penguins over the Capitals last night. It's a DVE morning show. Love it. It's 64 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Golden Oak Lending. I'm Val Porter. Federal investigators are keeping a log of the phone calls to and from Trump lawyer Michael Cohen. NBC News is clarifying its reporting from yesterday that Cohen's phone was tapped and the feds were listening in. NBC now says investigators are keeping a log but are not able to listen to or record those calls. Cohen is being investigated for a $130,000 hush money payment he made to Stormy Daniels in 2006. Sphincters loosened after that, right? Because <laughs> when everybody thought that his calls were recorded, they went, uh-oh. Have you heard anything Yikes. about how Stormy Daniels, uh, her appearance appearances went here in Pittsburgh? No, but we did a story yesterday about how like these older progressives were going in couples yeah, to I... support her <laughs> because they're worried about the country. I'm like, well, is this 2018 where we're going to a strip club and supporting a porn star because we love the country? Yeah, I just wondered what, what the crowds were like if it was Oh, packed. I mean, it had to be it had to be jam-packed. I can't imagine she goes anywhere and it's not like I, a madhouse. Yeah. Right? I mean, she's making America horny again. <laughs> That's the tour she's on. I wonder who else she brought with her. She brought oh, do like they, do they an undercard. They gaggles. I don't know. Yeah. What do you call a group uh, of porn stars? I don't. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, probably a gaggle. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> a gaggle reflex. Yeah. Yeah. If you're on Twitter, better change your password. That's what the company is urging all users to do just uh, after a glitch caused some uh, passwords to be stored in readable text on its internal computer system. Twitter says the problem has been resolved and there's no indication the passwords were stolen or misused. But as a precaution, they're still recommending that you change it. It's unclear how many passwords were affected, but one person familiar with the company says it was substantial and they were exposed for several months. Did you change your password? I did. 
Did you? I got it. No, I got to. I got to do it. Better do it right How now. How do you do it? Uh, I think it's under settings or privacy or something. I'm not. I don't remember. Okay. I had to search for it, but. Uh, older people are having sex and they're pretty happy about it. A new survey from the University of Michigan's poll on healthy aging found 40% of people ages 65 to 80 say they are sexually active. Can't, can't you just, you know, well, be active and not tell everyone about here's it? Here's the thing. When you're young, you run a marathon. That's right. When you're older, maybe you take a slow stroll around the block. Right. At 80, what is sexually active? Yeah, I don't know. Is that like That's she my touched question. my leg and things happened? My jeans got tight. <laughs> While men are more sexually active at that age, women report being more satisfied. In fact, 73% said they are content with their sex lives. I guess the rest either aren't satisfied or don't have one. I was going to say, man, I just feel so bad for women. They got to wait all the way till they're 80 to be satisfied. <laughs> Or is it the bar has dropped so low? Maybe that's it. That they're like, yeah, I guess I'm satisfied. That's fine. Whatever. A woman is expected to make a full recovery after doctors at Connecticut's Danbury Hospital removed a 132-pound ovarian tumor. Dear Lord. A t- uh, that's, a, that's a person. Yeah. A team of surgeons performed the operation on a 38-year-old woman in February. She was admitted to the hospital in critical condition. The tumor was growing by about 10 pounds a week. Might want to look at that. The tumor was not cancerous. The woman has resumed her normal life. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're at home. You're not going out with a 130-pound tumor. My God. Remember that guy that didn't he have it like it was... It looked like it was his um, a scrotal scrotal tumor. Yeah, where he could sit on it like one of those exercise balls, <laughs> like a hippity hop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was like he would he. It was his own personal ottoman. Like yeah. he had, he could put a, a rag over it and then put his dinner on it, carry it in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, how did something grow? I just I mean, don't how know do you, how it gets that if, out of hand. If you gain 10 pounds a week. Second week, I'm going to the doctor. Right. That's It's not going to get to 132 yeah, pounds. Yeah, that's crazy. College graduations, if you went to college or have ever been to a ceremony, you know, it can be a bit of a snooze fest. Lots of speeches and professors droning on and on about how... The world is your oyster. But <laughs> thanks to a couple of rogue pelicans in Malibu, California, Pepperdine's University uh, class of 2018 had a little excitement added to commencement. The large birds swooped down on the crowd and terrified the panicked audience. One of them actually landed on some people before making its way to the stage. Officials were trying to shoo them away, but one of them kept nipping at anybody who got too close. <laughs> one guy, there's a video on the morning show page at dve.com. Some guy tried to pick it up. No, you don't do that. And it was like, get off me. Oh, that would see that again. That's one of those awkward animals where I don't know what I would do if they attack. Oh, I love pelicans. I love maybe them it's, from a distance. Maybe it's because I never see them when yeah. I get to the beach. I'm like, oh, my God, there's a pelican. Well, they just look crazy. They're huge. They are enormous. 
I would never try to grab one, though. <laughs> it was funny because these security guards are like trying to corral them. <laughs> they don't have teeth, do they? Or do I they? I don't know. They have that huge gullet. Yeah. They just swoop up their, their meals. Right. And hardly chew at all. Yeah. I don't know if they have teeth. I don't know. And then where's all that extra teeth. water go? Do they have like a mesh gullet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Where they strain the water out? <laughs> Police say the serial pooper who targeted a New Jersey high school was a school superintendent. After hmm. students and faculty at Homedale like High School superintendent. <laughs> uh, kept finding human feces on or near the football field before school day began, the school day began, school administrators turned to police. Investigators found 42-year-old Thomas Tramaglini. <laughs> He's a superintendent at Kenilworth School uh. District. He's the suspect. He was caught pooping on the football field Monday and was taken into custody. A police spokesman says Tramaglini faces charges of public urination or defecation, discarding and dumping of litter and lewdness. In a statement, the Kenilworth Board of Education said Tramaglini has been granted a paid leave of absence. What do you have to do to get unpaid leave of yeah, absence? Apparently more than poop on the field every day. Now, I've heard of the saying, he left it all out there, but I don't think that's what they meant. That is gross. Not and, s- I would have expected it to be a student, not a 42-year-old uh, superintendent, superintendent of the school. You have the nicest bathroom, probably. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you pooping on our football field? <laughs> Maybe they have a, had a bad few seasons and he's just unhappy with their performance. I always wonder about that. Like, remember the story about the, the runner who kept pooping in the yes. same like Was it neighborhood? like a cul-de-sac or yeah. something? Yeah. Like a gated community. She kept, you know, coming in and, <laughs> and Same place. And I always wonder, like, is it? You just do these people have bowel issues where they they just cannot help it, and it absolutely has to. Then you stay home. Yeah, or wear a diaper. <laughs> you don't just poop anywhere, man. It's, what are we doing here? This it's not like you're camping. We haven't gotten to that point yet. No, clean it up. This is uh, from a couple days ago, so I'm not sure if you guys talked about it yesterday. Did you talk about Johnny Depp? No. Okay, he's got another lawsuit on his hand. Uh, hands, the actor who's already fighting with former business managers and lawyers, is now being sued by a couple of ex-security guards, Eugene Ariola. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the most unfortunate name to have or if it's Oof. a great name to have. I don't know. <laughs> no, so, it's terrible. Eugene what are you? Ariola and Miguel Sanchez. Foreskin. Cl- oh, who are they? <laughs> Claim Depp stiffed them on wages and put them in danger. Oh, here we go. According to TMZ, the men alleged their duties included driving vehicles with illegal drugs and open alcohol containers inside, monitoring unstable people on his crew, babysitting his kids, and protecting Depp from himself due to his wild behavior. In court documents, the two say oftentimes plaintiffs were forced to protect de- defendant Depp from himself, himself and his vices while in public. This is my favorite part. (laughs) An incident at a local nightclub involved plaintiffs alerting Depp of illegal substances visible on his face and person (laughs) while preventing onlookers from noticing Depp's condition. He looks like one of those cooks in the Pillsbury commercials (laughs) where he comes out and he just has flour all over his nose. Come on, dude. 
Are you doing that much drugs where it's all over your person? <laughs> that's, t- that's too much drugs. Rain it in, Johnny. Rain it in. Don't treat areola like that. <laughs> Black Panther is already dominating this year's MTV movie and TV awards with the most nominations. The film is up for seven awards, including Best Movie, Best Hero, and Best On-Screen Team. One of its stars, Chadwick Boseman, is vying for Best Hero and Best Performance in a Movie. The nominations follow the film's feat of becoming one of the highest-grossing films of all time. The award show is the first to feature Black Panther, which focuses on the African nation of Wakanda. Second-highest number of nominations goes to the Netflix series Stranger Things. The show has six, including Best Show and Best On-Screen Team. The list of nominees also includes 13 Reasons Why, Avengers Infinity War, Game of Thrones, and A Quiet Place and It, which I finally saw a couple weekends ago. You did? It's good. It's really good, They're doing a sequel. They they said it's going to be even scarier than the first one. Oh, wow. The kid from Stranger Things is in that. How funny is he? Oh, his character's unbelievable. Oh, the kids in that make make that movie for me. Yeah. The kid acting, and that's why, like, I love Stranger Things. I, I really like the first two seasons, but... I mean, I'm I'm sure they're going to do a third, but you know they're getting older now. They're like yeah, well, they're going to be all going through puberty. Yeah, that's the trouble with kid actors; they grow up. They grow up, and then they start doing drugs, and it gets real weird, and and they have to be protected by their bodyguards <laughs> from themselves. Thursday afternoon, Kevin Hart survived an airplane mishap. The wheels on his private jet exploded. Boston firefighters rushed to meet the plane on the runway. Federal Aviation Administration confirmed Hart's Gulfstream 4 landed and blew a left main gear tire. He shared with his 59 million Instagram followers, 59 million, uh, a photo of his squad uh, praying next to the plane on the tarmac. He said, quote, God is good with a capital G. Had our first serious airplane scare today. Nobody was harmed. Our pilot handled the situation perfectly. Hashtag blessed. That dude is bigger. He's the biggest comic on the planet, and he's he's a tiny man. Mm-hmm. But just to let you know how big he is, obviously he has his own private plane. That's 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 one pretty big. That's one sign that he's a big deal. The other one, and I think this is historical. He is the first comic to ever have an endorsement with Nike. Because he does that whole like, you know, fitness aspect to with his listeners and his followers. Like he'll he'll tweet stuff out. He has his own shoe. Unbelievable! So that's how big he is. He did the um, PPG Paints Arena. There was like twelve thousand people there. I and remember it was just it was crazy. I remember him coming in here when he was doing the improv, hustling. He was the nicest guy. Yeah, that's what everybody says. That's what Randy says. Yeah. He made an, a point to hustle to every market that he wanted to to do stand-up in at least twice a year. He would come in with material. He would bring DVDs and stuff to give away because he understood that, you know, that aspect of the business from the jump pretty much. And now he's selling out arenas and I don't know how you get that big and everybody's not ripping you off. Well, didn't he try? Wasn't he? Didn't somebody try to extort him or something within Definitely. like the last six yeah. months? Or there was a uh, sex tape. He was. But he, he had cheated sex. On... Yeah, I mean, he had sex with someone else. Yes, while his girlfriend was pregnant. Girlfriend, Probably. fiance, wife. Yes. I'm not sure what she was at the time. And then I think they paid him off. 
and he just kind of admitted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got out in front of it. Hey, man, you got your own shoe. Yeah. You're going to be tempted. Right. If you have your own shoe, I mean, a lot of us can't imagine that level of success. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have your own shoe. Forecast today, expect some rain. Temperatures in the mid-70s. It's 64 now at DVE. I'm Val Porter with Bill Crawford. Randy uh, is on vacation, taking a long weekend, Friday and Monday off. And uh, I missed you guys this well, I week. I was just going to say, please don't leave us again. I did miss how, you. How was your uh, your week in the afternoon? Afternoons uh, filling in for Sean McDowell. It's weird. It is. It's very lonely. Yeah. After being in this environment, it's right. like, where is everybody? Uh, I miss the morning show. <laughs> Were you sitting by the the window with a thunder shirt on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> waiting for us to come home? <laughs> it it has to be weird. And that show is from three to eight. Three to eight. Yeah. So, so then uh, I'm on one more day today for Sean, and then hopefully I didn't destroy his show too much. <laughs> He'll be back on Monday. No, you've been doing a great job. Uh-huh. What what Thanks. is the rhythms you get on for for sleeping? It's like circa- circadian. Uh, circadian or totally screwed up. Totally thrown I'm off. I'm more right? tired now. Yeah. I'm more tired this week than a normal week. Really? I don't. And you could have technically slept in, right? Yeah, but I didn't. Of course not. No. I mean, I slept until 4.30, Whoa. which is an extra hour of sleep. So you wake up at 3.30? Yes. That's just crazy. Because I try to get here between 5 and 5.15. So. Oh, okay. And you have to chop down at least two or three trees before right. you, you get yeah. in your car? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hook the dogs up to the Clean sled. out the garage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, we, we definitely missed you, and uh, we're, we're I'm glad you're back. I am glad I'm back, too. Uh, Mike Pursuit is coming up next. Uh, Penguins, nice win. 2-2 series tie as they head to Washington. It's a three-game series. Mike's up next. It's a DVE Morning Show. Berg.com. DVE Sports. kind of like this new bed. I was just thinking that same thing. Yeah, me too. Nice job, Joe. Is that you? He's shaking his head. I had nothing to do with it. It's all BP. Okay, BP. Sounds good. No wonder it's good. Sports is our brought to you by <laughs> Golden Oak Lending. Like uh, the three games that had preceded it, Game 4 of the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Penguins and Capitals had more than its share of storylines. But let's uh, start right here. TJ Oshie's late game launch at Chris Letang wasn't, repeat, was not one of them. It was a hit, but at the end of the day, I don't think he... He went with his elbow to knock me out, uh, and um, it was just uh, an emotional game. It was tight from the from the beginning to the end, so it was just a uh, good emotion. Yeah. Didn't a little emotion, a little frustration. Just thank, good emotion. Thank and take it. I, I, if it was Pierre or Milbury, people are going to think it's a Neanderthal-type comment, but he is a big boy, and he can take that. You're going to have that in playoff hockey. Didn't um, Oshie complain about Tom Wilson's? Vehemently. Yeah. Suspension vehemently said it was, he was very was, extreme and that he felt like Wilson was taken from them. Was he the only one to say that? Uh, I don't know, Val. I, I saw his comments somewhere. Those comments went viral yesterday. They, they yeah. talked about it uh, yesterday. There's always some media after the morning skate. Yeah. Uh, I tried to make this point yesterday. I know, I know everybody in Pittsburgh thinks Wilson's a scumbag, but he's a good player, and that's a big loss for them. 
and they were huge oh, lost. Oh, He's on their was, top line. Oh, she was clearly feeling it. I on the forecheck, the space he creates, uh, what he can do uh, with the puck when he's not trying to take people's heads off. Uh, just a good example. He's on, yeah, he's of, on the top line. The, so. What they were missing, the, the best look the Capitals had in the first period was by the guy who was replacing um, Wilson in the lineup, Shane Gersich, who was playing his first playoff game. And he had uh, an open lane to Matt Murray uh, from the left circle. And what are the Caps been doing all series? Shooting at Murray's glove? Yep. Gersich Tr- tried to go five-hole, you know. Murray enticed him with the legs open, then he sh- well, shut the bank. That always gets you, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, he could have gone in and tried to make a move or or picked a better spot. He just sort of wanted to get that on net, it looked like. And uh, that that's the problem the Caps were having. Their opportunities were few and far between. Uh, the Penguins weren't giving them much at all. And uh, Crystal Tang thought the way the Penguins played, Oshie and the Caps had reason to be frustrated. I think it was more of playing playing well defensively, waiting for mistakes, because you know when you're down by a goal, sometimes you're trying stuff. And we we got a couple two on ones. Uh, we we had a couple good chances. I, I think about Gans. Um So uh, we were close to to put that game in a two goal situation. That was the tank talking about a third period in which the Penguins not only held on to their two one lead uh, and then eventually built upon it with Jake Gensel's empty net goal, but. They held the Caps to three shots on goal in the process. Alex Ovechkin had zero shots and two attempts. According to Penguins historian Bob Grove, it's the first time in 76 career games against the Penguins Ovechkin has not gotten a shot on goal. Wow. And the best part about that is... That's impressive. It's not as if they came up with some kind of gimmick defense designed to totally take Ovechkin out of it. They just played real sound, stingy playoff hockey. Here's Brian Dumoulin. He's dangerous, and I mean, obviously, he's a key guy. And I mean, we did a great job of staying out of the box there in the third period. And and uh, I mean, we got to try to limit his chance as much as we can. I mean, at any any game, he can. All it takes is one little chance or one little opportunity, and he can score. And I mean, he's he scored off some two on one, so it's important for us to to not give him those chances and to make him earn earn his uh, scoring chances. Yeah, all of a sudden last night, the odd man rushes were not an issue. I think uh, if you count the Gersich one where he kind of snuck behind the D. Wasn't like he had a breakaway from the blue line, but he was in clean. He had time and space. I'll give him one for that. And I think they had one other two on one that I noticed. But uh, the Penguins. I mean, look, there's a reason they're here. You know, I mean, you, you got to give them some credit. Their, their transition game is is really good. It's good enough that you have to respect it, and you, you can't try fifty fifty plays and give it a chance to beat you. And uh, the Penguins didn't do that last night. All the stuff you hear Mike Sullivan talk about every day from October to now was uh, on the table last night. We didn't give up the the amount of odd man rushes that we've given up in the first couple of games. It's something that we've been watching a lot of film about on the last couple of games and, and trying to be more diligent in, in certain aspects of our game so that we don't give them, you know, the two-on-one opportunities, for example, that they got in the third period in game three. And so if we can if we can do our best to to limit those opportunities, then it takes one element of the of the, I think what is a dangerous transition game that they have uh, out of it, and so we've got to do what we can to make sure that uh, that we stay on the right side of the puck and we stay on the right side of people. We get above the attack. We have numbers tracking back, and we make good decisions with the puck in the critical areas of the rink so that we don't give them, you know, those freebie opportunities where they get two on ones or or 
you know, real good quality opportunities like that. And so I thought our guys did a better job tonight. Yeah, and there's all the Mike Sullivan bullet points, right? Be on the right side of the puck, mm-hmm. track back, smart mm-hmm. decisions in the critical areas. Everything that he emphasizes, uh, you saw it in practice last night. Why did they suddenly uh, become so diligent and, and so conscious of those things and, and the way they were playing? Well, uh, if Kenny Malkin said it was because they knew uh, what point it was in the series and perhaps in the season. We understand like it's like huge game for us. Like uh, we can lost uh, it's three one. It's like it's it's so hard. And uh, third period, I think we like we play smart. Like we we have a couple chances two on one. You know, but it's we like focus in D zone. You know, like we try blocking shot like hoarding against like they blocking huge shot. And like yeah, we like play game seven tonight. Like for sure, like and uh, unbelievable. Like everyone. Two more game sevens. We play like game seven tonight. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. He mentioned Hornquist and uh, Gensel blocking shots. He went down. Malkin did to try to block one, too. I don't know if he got oh, it or yeah. not, but he made the effort. Uh, and when, when you hear of Getty Malkin talking about playing smart, the Penguins are on to something. If they play like that, there's not going to be a game seven. Now, that said, uh, he still managed to find his way into the penalty box again. Wow. Wish he could uh, avoid that. Part of the package. Another uh, amazing stat from uh, the aforementioned Pens historian Bob Grove. Goals in uh, the first 35 playoff games of a career in Penguins history. Mario Lemieux has 28. Jake Cancel has 23. (laughs) Kevin Stevens had 20. Sidney Crosby had 18. Evgeny Malkin had 15. Yarmir Yager had six goals in his first 35 playoff wow. games. Jake and Bake out here just filling the net. 23. Helps being on a li- line with Sydney. I think uh, it does, Crosby's been on the ice for all of the goals. He has, but the, part of the factor there is Gensel scoring a bunch of them. Crosby is too. Uh, game five is Saturday at 7 in D.C., and the NHL announced last night that Game six here Monday night, which we now know will be played, will be a 7 o'clock start. Like these early starts. Yes. I want them to play like game seven for the next two games so that we never see Tom Wilson again this year. I don't want to see him in a uniform. You know, very encouraging the way they played and the way they responded, but I don't think it it, it necessarily guarantees this is over in six. No. Uh, that was uh, not that, at all. That was a bounce and uh, a double replay review away from going another way. I mentioned uh, last hour that you know both teams got a when it, for the two to one. Both teams had a power play goal, and there was only one even strength goal. And that one was uh, Dominic Simone taking a shot, Matt Niskin and blocking it, and the block just caroming right to Jake Ensel. They didn't draw that up. They got a bounce and. Fortunately, he knew what to do with it. Um, Back to Wilson for one second, Mike. I know he's he's a good player, but I think people think he's just a piece of garbage, the way he plays the game, and only the NHL could make that guy a sympathetic figure. Like We're mourning his loss like it was uh, egregious what the league came down with. Well, and yeah, to me, that's, that's crazy. I mean, it's their guy they're going to be. No, but I'm just saying nationally. 
people were responding to this as if, like when they came on the broadcast last night for the pregame on the NHL network, it was so somber in the room. Like they were, they just, they were so upset that they had to announce that he was out for three games. Yeah, I heard that a lot yesterday too. People were shocked it's and like, what? dismayed. And, Guy yeah. injured people in back-to-back games. And is a repeat offender. I I can't speak to where they're coming from. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I didn't think there was any doubt about it. And uh, I'm not at all surprised he got three games. And I think three games in the playoffs in the middle of the series is huge. That is a big penalty. It's that's right. Capitals got to figure out a way uh, around that. They were not able to do that last night. Here's how close it was. Shots were 24-21 pens. Face-offs were 50-50. Attempts were 52 to 48 pens. And uh, on the power plays, Washington was one for three. And Pittsburgh was two for four, including the empty netter. So really Mm -hmm. one for three when there was a goalie in there. Tight. Super tight. I got to go all Alex Ovechkin regarding game five. Can't wait. Thanks, Mike. Uh, When we come back, we'll be joined by Josh Getzoff of the Penguins Radio Network. It's the DVE Morning Show. It's the DVE Morning Show. I'm Val Porter with Bill Crawford and Mike Bursuta. Joining us right now from the Penguins Radio Network is Josh Getzoff. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. So would Tom Wilson have made a difference last night or the difference for the Caps? Uh, I don't think so. I think that was a pretty solid overall game for the Penguins last night. I mean, if there's one area you want to point to maybe that he would have helped in, it might have been the penalty kill. They gave up two goals. I know one of them was an empty netter. Uh, but still, I, I think that the Penguins played their best all-around game of the series last night, and I don't know if uh, Tom Wilson in or out of the lineup for the Capitals would have made much of a difference. Josh, do you ever wonder what it would look like in a regular season if they were that on their details a lot more often? Because I do. Yeah, that, I, I think yeah. they're almost – now, I know last night was very close, but I think they're they're really at their best when they're playing not to get scored on and just letting the game come to them. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that was uh, that was kind of reminiscent, guys, from what we saw in 2016. I thought, as far as the um, the defensive effort and the cohesion they had, especially when they were uh, quote unquote protecting the lead there in the third period, they looked like a totally different team from how they approached the lead uh, going into the third in Game Three. I know the Capitals bought a zone time, but I mean, only three shots against. I think the credit has to go to the Penguins there for kind of limiting opportunities in the third period and protecting that lead and then obviously getting the empty net goal from Jake Gensel late. And you feel the frustration for the Capitals kind of mounting as that period went on, which I think is a testament to how the Penguins kind of stayed the course. And as you mentioned, Mike, like, just had the patience within their game to wait for it to come to them and then obviously capitalize when they had those opportunities. So is there anybody that's got uh, an advantage going into Game 5 or are you looking for just another one of these toss-up, tug-of-war struggles? Yeah, I mean, I think this has reached the point of it being really a heavyweight bout. These are just two really good teams uh, that are going at each other right now. But I would say this, that uh, and Phil Bork and I talked about this last night on the postgame show, and I, I do think this is true, that Washington is one of those arenas, um, one of the few in the league, I think, where the fans actually, in a way, can work against the home team. Uh, hmm. Things start to go against them. So, you know, if the Penguins are able to get the first goal, maybe even build a 2 nothing lead, I mean, we've been in that building plenty of times, and uh, you, you feel it for sure. You feel the uh, the nervous energy, the uncertainty from the fans, uh, 
And, and obviously it has a trickle-down effect based on what the Capitals have done on home ice in big games and their history. So I think that that's something that could work in the Penguins' favor if the Pens are able to come out and have a strong start, which they've had each of the last two games despite not scoring. Uh, they've drawn penalties early on. They've had opportunities. I think Braden Holtby still has been pretty good, uh, and that's been the main reason why the Penguins haven't scored in the first period in this series. But they did finally get the first goal last night, and that goes a long way with this team towards the uh, establishing of how they want to play. One of the things Sully did to get Malkin going was he moved Hornquist to the second line because he said when when Gino was filling the net, he was mainly doing it with Hornquist and Haggy on the wings. What, what do you think? Did, first of all, do you expect to see that line combination in Game 5? And um, do, do you expect them to do anything else to, to try to get Broussard or Kessel going? Yeah, those are the two big ones, Bill. I, I mean, I think when you look at Broussard and Kessel, it's I mean, it looks to me that Phil Kessel's dealing with something. I know that's not any rocket scientist conclusion right there based on what you've seen in the series, but he just seems to be reluctant to shoot the puck, and that's unfortunate because uh, we all know what that shot's capable of, and it'll be interesting to see how he battles through whatever he's dealing with the rest of the series. As far as Derek Broussard is concerned, and I was talking about this with Phil the other night too, I I think that his game, he's playing hard. Uh, I do notice him at times, and I think he's very engaged in the games. He's just not having that game-break mentality, I think, that comes with uh, what we've seen from him in the postseason. And, you know, I should take that back and say that more recently, I think it's something like his last 23 playoff games, or 27 playoff games now, he only has three goals. So maybe this is more of the player that he is uh, with as far as recent history is concerned. So, It'll be interesting, again, to see how he responds. But to answer your initial question, I think Carl Hagelin coming back last night had a lot more to do with the Penguins' success than meets the eye because he does a lot of things that are not going to light up the score sheet like an Evgeny Malkin, like a Patrick Hornquist. But when you put him with players like that, he kind of balances out the line. He has that 200-foot responsible game, obviously a speed player that the Penguins have been missing in their lineup. There's no question about that. Uh, When he's out, you notice it. And he, he can give them another body on the penalty kill. He can give them a guy who's going to lead the four-check and establish the four-check and, and give the Capitals another guy to worry about and also create some space, I think, for Evgeny Malkin and, and Patrick Hornquist last night, which we saw a couple of times. So I think we'll probably see those top six forwards remain the same. Maybe Dominic Simone shuffles a little bit if, if Mike Sullivan feels that that's necessary. But, I mean, you're not going to break up Gensel and Crosby. And then, obviously, <laughs> I think what we saw last night for that second line uh, was was good progress. Yeah, and didn't you know? I I thought the first period, especially of uh, Game Three, Malkin's first game back, they started him with Simone and Rust, and I thought those guys looked like they had never met each other before, let alone played with each <laughs> other. But Simone last night, I thought was good again on on the number one line. It's weird how guys, some places you fit, some you don't. But uh, Sullivan seems to be able to find it eventually. You know. And, right tool for the right job, so to speak. Yeah, and you know, in, in uh, Dominic Simone's defense, or I guess in his in his help last night, I mean, Mike, you or I probably would have looked okay if we skated with Gensel and Crosby with how they're <laughs> well, playing right now. Yeah, but I you mean, don't see guys. him doing stupid stuff, and he's, you know, he no. keeps it moving, he's in the right places on the rink. No, you're right, you're right. And he, drew, he did help to draw that penalty early on in the game, and I actually think Gensel's goal, the first goal, was a direct result of Simone just taking the puck to the net. He does have talent, and he does have skill. It's, uh, there, was, there was that moment, I think, when he first came to the Penguins. He had that nice little streak where he was scoring goals, and you thought maybe they had found the next one as far as these guys coming up from Wilkes-Barre. But 
he definitely has hit a wall. There's no question about that. But maybe, you know, a move like last night, putting him with uh, a Gensel and a Crosby. As you mentioned, Mike Sullivan has that ability to really push the right buttons. He's done it infinity amount of times, basically, since he's come on board with the Penguins. And this may just be the latest example as far as trying to ignite Simone and, and give the Penguins another guy that can add to their offensive attack up front because they certainly need it. Uh, Barry Trotz was talking last night about uh, basically trying to play the same game in Game 5 with some slight adjustments. What do you, what do you think he might have been hinting at? Um, I think for him, I mean, it's a matter of them shooting the puck more. The Capitals are, mm-hmm. this is a team that's predicated like the Penguins on offense, and uh, they did not, I mean, Alex Ovechkin had no shots on goal last night. I thought uh, Nicholas Backstrom had a, a nice game. Otherwise, I mean, T.J. Oshie scores on the power play, but I, I can't say I really noticed him aside from that goal. It's, uh, well, I should say I didn't notice him until he bounced into Chris Letang until <laughs> towards the end of regulation. Um, but the, these are these are guys that, just like the Penguins, that, that they're counting on in these bigger moments to step up. And, uh, you know, uh, the fact that Ovechkin had no shots on goal last night, that's an eye-opener for me for the Capitals, especially considering what was on the line for them uh, to have a chance to go up 3-1 to one and really for the first time in a long time uh, since the early 90s, put the Penguins in the stranglehold with these two teams going head-to-head. So, I mean, I, I think that, that they have a, a little bit more to correct than he probably will lead on. And the biggest thing for them is going to be the mental thing. And I, and I go back to that because it has been a thing for the Capitals. They're going to go back on home ice, and it'll be rocking there to start that game at Capital One Arena Saturday. There's no question in my mind. And if they, they play like they did in games one and two, they'll probably be in good shape because they were better than the Penguins in games one and two. Uh, the second half of game two, the Penguins certainly controlled the play, but I thought the way they started both of those games, they put themselves in a position to win them with how they came out of the gate, obviously scoring twice, uh, scoring two goals early in each of those games. So I think when you look at game number five, if you're the Penguins, you really like what you did last night. You want to kind of build off that blueprint and do it to maybe another extreme if you can get some more depth production, which I know has been the, the constant question this entire series, but you also – are really happy with how Matt Murray played and want to see that carry over. If you're the Capitals, I agree. You know, I don't necessarily think Barry Trotz is that far off in saying that you want to follow the same kind of game plan, but, I mean, they have to get more from their bigger names, and uh, I think it starts with Alex Ovechkin just because he has been their best player in this series, and he really wasn't able to do much last night. Josh gets off. Hear him on the Penguins Radio Network. Josh, always appreciate you joining Great us. Great stuff, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Uh, Coming up next, I'll have news, and if you haven't heard it yet, Guns N' Roses has an old new single. I'll have a clip of it coming up. It's a DVE morning show. Berg. Do your nipples bleed? I tape my nipples. (laughs) I wear wear tassels. (laughs) And no shirt. (laughs) No shirt. And it's a little uncomfortable for the people that are cheering me on. But you know what? Forget that. It's about me. And you know what? Maybe it's weird that I have an umbilical hernia <laughs> and that my button looks like baby Stewie's head. But again, that's for them to deal with. It's not my problem. At the beginning, you're freezing. By the end, it's you could be down to the tassels. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm wearing a banana thong. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> There's four at. Uh... <laughs> Is it uncomfortable for everybody else? Yes. Is it about everybody else? No, it's about me. <laughs> Randy Bellman and the DVE Morning Show. And Niskanen doesn't have a stick, but the Capitals are able still to steer it up ahead. And now Smith Pelly 
Gibbs just going to stick as the Penguins turn back into the play. To see Mullen in front. Shooting the puck. It's in. The Penguins have scored. See Mullen shot and he may have hit somebody in front. Gibbs may have touched that puck. And the Penguins have taken a 1-0 lead. Holy cheese and crackers. The Penguins get the first goal in this game. To the left wing corner. Hopey's out. Matang went back forward. Hopey's gone again. Crosby finds the puck. Got a man open. Gensel. Open net. Can he put it in? He does. And a battle breaks out with Ochi and one of the Penguins on the backside. It's Latang, I think. As the Penguins have scored the empty netter by Gensel, but a fight between TJ Ochi and Chris Latang after the goal was scored. So Gensel will get his second. And the kitchen is closed. Nice night for Jake Gensel last night as the Penguins beat the Capitals 3-1. That ties the series at two games apiece. And they will head back to D.C. for Game 5 on Saturday night, 7 o'clock face-off for the Penguins and the Capitals. Mike Pursuit of Full Sports Report at the bottom of the hour. Here's the Channel 11 Severe Weather Center forecast brought to us by Dormont Appliance. It's 66 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Channel 11 News on Fox 53. Weeknights at 10. I'm Val Porter. The sexual harassment case against former CBS host Charlie Rose now includes 27 new accusers and reports that CBS long knew about Rose's behavior toward women dating back to the 80s. The 76-year-old journalist and co-host of CBS This Morning was fired in November after eight former employees claimed they were sexually harassed. The Washington Post conducted a five-month investigation and interviewed more than 100 of Rose's former colleagues. 14 CBS employees and 13 others who worked with him outside of CBS came out and accused Rose of sexual misconduct. The investigation also discovered CBS had been aware of allegations as far back as 1986 and as recently as last year. One of the new accusers alleges that Rose exposed himself to her in 1976 when they worked together at NBC. He has denied the new round of allegations and tells the Post, quote, your story is unfair and inaccurate. CBS says it has no record of any human resources complaints filed against Rose. Did you see there was a story that came out and I don't I think it might have been this week about Charlie Rose hosting some round table Mm-mm. with other people that have been uh, caught up in the Me Too movement? No. I'm like, this sounds like an awful idea. Yeah. Just be quiet for a while. I don't think anybody wants to hear from you. No. Did that happen or they were no, just talking No, I, I just it? saw I just saw it like it was planned. Here's I'm what's like, happening. Oh God, this sounds like an awful event. And Bill Cosby's wife is breaking her silence following the star's guilty verdict. Camille Cosby released a statement calling for a criminal investigation into the district attorney and his cohorts in her husband's sexual assault case. She called them a homogenous group of exploitative and corrupt people whose primary purpose is to advance themselves professionally and economically. She said if they could do this to her husband, they can do it to anyone. She also took aim at the media for their relentless demonization of Cosby. And the group behind the Academy Awards is voting to expel Bill Cosby and director Roman Polanski from its membership. The Academy of Motion Pictures are and Sciences is citing its conduct standards, saying the board continues to encourage ethical standards that require members to uphold the Academy's values of respect for human dignity. So Cosby just convicted a week ago, mm-hmm. but Roman Polanski has been on the run for 40 years, and they're right. just now getting around to applying their standards to him. It's crazy. He, he hasn't been back in the States in that time, has he? No, not that I know of. 
because he's afraid he's going to get put in jail. Right. I remember, didn't he win the Oscar for The Pianist? <sighs> I feel like remember. he won the Oscar one year. I mean, he obviously wasn't there. Um, but the Adrian Brody movie about the Holocaust mm-hmm. or World War II, um, I think he won Best Director for that. Well, since, uh, like I said, he's been gone 40 years. He fled the country while awaiting sentencing for statutory rape in 1978. Well, wait a minute. How did he direct that movie? It must have been shot in Europe or something. I don't know. I don't remember that he directed it, but... Uh, The board which oversees the Marian Anderson Award has decided to rescind the honor given to Cosby in 2010. In a statement issued by the governing board, they said the decision to rescind was made out of respect for the legacy of Marian Anderson and other honorees. According to their website, the award honors artists whose leadership benefits humanity. A new Pew Research survey suggests an overwhelming majority of Americans believe in some sort of higher power. The poll says 56% have faith in the God in the Bible, while 33% of Americans believe in some spiritual force. Only 10% of the country is considered atheist. Almost all American Christians believe in God or a higher power. 80% believed in the biblical God. About a third of Jews believe in God, while 56% believe in some higher power. The weekend is here, that magical time when you get to do all the things you can't do during the week. Uh, during the week, uh, Three things. Name three things you can only do on the weekend. Some of the top answers, drink. Yeah, it's get, not cool to, to booze on the, the weeknights. Get a little boozing night. in. Sleep in. I can't. I mean, it's just not even plausible. How late do you sleep in on the weekend? I mean, I always wake up around 6 a.m., yeah, 5.30 to 6 is usually when I'm up. You know, I can fall back asleep, but the kids are running around. They don't care. <laughs> you know, they don't care about me sleeping in. They're up, and once they're up... Hit the ground running. They're at full volume. <laughs> there is no inside voices. Uh, wash your car on the weekend. Big activity. Based on the lines at every car wash, yeah, I'd say that's that's probably true. Exercise on the weekend. Yeah. Get a nice exercise in. See a movie. Sure. We tried to go see Avengers last weekend. Yeah, how'd Ev- that go? Everything sold out. Really? I, except for 11-something. You got to go on Fandango. I said I'm not. That's what we tried to do. Really? Yeah. I said, ah, we'll wait a couple weeks. Yeah, have you seen any spoilers? Because I've been mm-hmm. trying to avoid those. No. I haven't seen it either. Spoilers don't bother me. Like, no. I'll still, wa- like, if people talk about a television show, I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. But you don't want to, if there's a big reveal in the movie, you don't want to already. Eh. No. Doesn't bother me too <laughs> you much. You don't care. I'm still going to see it. So. I want to see that movie, but I'm I'm busy watching the other 18 of them <laughs> so that I understand what the heck is going on. Stay up past 11 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> past nine, if I'm lucky. There, there comes a certain point now in my life where it reaches that time in the night where all I'm thinking about is pizza and laying down eating it. Yeah. At 11 well, o'clock. I was going to say, what time is that? Uh, that's around 10. You 10 can... o'clock, I start to think that. Wow. And well, I, I mean, la- that, like last weekend, I'm in. I'm, well, you were working. Yeah, I'm in Lexington, Kentucky. The second show, it doesn't even start until 9.45, 10 o'clock. And afterwards... I'm just hoping and praying 
that Steve doesn't ask for a drink on stage because that means that we're going to hang out afterwards because <laughs> once he gets once the the uh, the Juices alcohol t- touches lips he he gets a little taste it's so good he's like oh let's keep this party going and i'm like i'm tired <laughs> my lower back hurts <laughs> i feel like my ankles are swollen <laughs> i just want to scissor kick the coldness in my hotel room bed and go to sleep and then i heard this sleep podcast that oh, I think me and Randy were talking to you about he it. He sent it to me. I haven't listened to it I, yet. I, I don't know if it's a good idea to listen to it. Why? I mean, it's fantastic stuff. Just reinforces everything we already think? Yes. And, yeah. you know, it's it, sleep is just such a, a big part of your health. Pretty important. <laughs> and the absence of said sleep is, you know, detrimental. Yes. Your body you breaks down. It doesn't have time to recover. But one of the things that this guy had done a study on that I thought was incredibly interesting was that you don't really ever hit REM sleep when you're in a hotel room or you're in a foreign place because it's that evolutionary uh, leftover fight or flight like you You are on, on alert so you don't go too deep in. And that makes total sense because you know, people will be like, you're on the road, you're in a hotel, how aren't you getting good nights of sleep? I'm like, I don't know, I just wake up, I have anxiety, I feel more tired than when I'm here. Really? Yeah. Because I'm not getting a good sleep. I always feel like I get a good night's sleep in a hotel, maybe I'm wrong. Really? Could be different for you, I don't know. Because there's nobody waking me up, no dogs are like, I have to pee. Well, yeah, you have a lot of thing. You have a lot of responsibility on the home front. Well, so you when do you, too. You have two kids. Yeah, but I mean, they like. I can sleep. They're in. almost self sufficient at this point. Yeah, and they they wake Serena up. <laughs> you know what I mean? They know, like I'm a stone that's they're really not going to get much out of. <laughs> Tomorrow is Cinco de Mayo, which is, of course, a huge drinking. Is Cinco de Mayo, yeah, the Kentucky Derby, which is you're going to confuse your mint juleps and your margaritas. <laughs> you just have right. one of each. And the Penguins game tomorrow night. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, there's probably going to be people that are going to partake in all three, the trifecta, but I would not try to hit that parlay. <laughs> I, I'm going to watch the Derby. I think my neighbors are having a yard sale, so we're gonna hang out and try to maybe mooch, sell some stuff, mooch a table, and and put some of our stuff on display. <laughs> Can I bring some stuff over. <laughs> yes, please do. And then, and obviously, watch the uh, the Pens game. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the drinking part, a new study has found rich people actually drink more than those with an average income. Researchers said they were surprised with the result as it would make sense for blue-collar workers to hit bars more than doctors and lawyers. That's their belief, Uh, but it's not true. Instead, people who make more money are more likely to drink more and more of them binge drink than Hmm. people at lower incomes. I guess maybe they have more disposable income. They can afford to booze. That makes sense, and they're in high-stress jobs. Like I've never been to a city like when we do the improv in D.C., those people get so obliterated. Really? I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. I mean, they are fall down drunk before the show starts. <laughs> that must make for a fun night. Oh, yeah. It's it's a rowdy show, but it's a fun show. Like, you have to come out in a full gallop or you'll get heckled. <laughs> but they, if they like you, they, they love you. 
but I think it's because they all work in the, the government. government and they work crazy hours. So when they go out, they, they go, go out, out hard. and they binge in like a whole weekend. A janitor at an airport in South Korea is anxiously awaiting to find out if he's going to sweep up to $325 million while emptying garbage cans around the terminal. The janitor found seven gold bars wrapped in newspaper. Well, he did the right thing and turned it over to authorities, but there is a chance he could get to keep the money. Authorities believe someone likely tried to hide the gold in the trash so it wouldn't be detected at customs. Mm. They're waiting for the rightful owner to come forward, but if he does it, the janitor may actually get to keep it under South Korea's Finder's Keepers law. If authorities determine, though, that the gold bars are linked to criminal activity, he'll only get to keep a small percentage. So, Val, um, The Pianist was a 2002 film, one best director, best actor Mm -hmm. in 2003 at the Oscars. Obviously, he wasn't there, but I'm trying to find out right now if it was, it doesn't say, production... Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't say where it, it was. It doesn't filmed. say where it was filmed, but yeah, that's cr- that's crazy. In other movie news today, Star Wars fans all over the world celebrating the galaxy far, far away. May Fourth became Star Wars Day after fans took to uh, calling it "May the Fourth Be With You." Star Wars Day was created by fans after they were able to connect with one another around the globe. The film company who created Star Wars, Lucasfilm has fully embraced the holiday, and fans will celebrate by hosting movie marathons, sharing their favorite Star Wars moments on social media, and even cooking Star Wars recipes. I'm not sure what that entails, but... In related news, Solo, a Star Wars story, is on track for a $170 million opening over the four-day Memorial Day weekend. Since it is still early, that estimate could increase. It opens on May 25th. These movies, they just, it's not stopping. It's like, oh my God, Black Panther. Oh my God, Avengers 4. Oh my God, Solo. Oh my God, Ant-Man. Oh my God, Wasp Theaters are going to make a lot of money this year. We're all the way down to Wasp Man. (laughs) In music news, Guns N' Roses is set to release a remastered and expanded edition of its 1987 debut album, Appetite for Destruction, on June 29th. The new massive locked and loaded reissue box set comes in a faux leather and wood tower. Uh, it It looks like a jewelry armoire. It includes 73 songs, 49 of which are previously unreleased, on four CDs and seven 12-inch vinyl LPs. In addition, the box will come with the band's 1987, uh, 1986 Live uh, Like a Suicide four-song EP, a second EP containing B-sides, a 96-page hardbound book with unreleased photos, plus a lot more. The original Appetite for Destruction album has sold nearly 30 million copies worldwide. One previously unreleased track called Shadow of Love is produced by Mike Clink, and it is being released as a single. Here's a clip. can't jump around as much as I like because I feel like my ankles are swollen, but I would love <laughs> If this makes me feel very this. bouncy. <laughs> I 
I mean, that voice. How did he, like, I don't understand, like, do you know any of the background of how he started singing and how he started singing like that? You know, I wonder that a lot of the time. Like, him and Sully Erna from Godsmack is another guy. Yeah. Like, how do you discover, like, do you just start singing along with the radio and you're like, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I got a cool rock and roll voice. <laughs> right. I've wondered that in the past, yeah. Because there's no way he was formally taught to sing like that. Probably not. Like, did But I really don't know. Did he get like hit in his beanbag one day? Was like, oh, <laughs> Shadow of Love. Uh, again, the name of that single, the album will also be available in the less elaborate super deluxe edition. Four CDs, one Blu-ray, and a hardbound book box set for 179 bucks. And the two CD deluxe edition priced at 1998. Forecast today: occasional rain, maybe a thunderstorm. Temperatures in the mid 70s. It's 62 now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. To get the DVE Coffee House, Point Park University stage in the Permanis DVE Coffee House. Molly Alphabet, our guest uh, this morning. Mike Pursuit is coming up with sports. It's the DVE Morning Show. Prince. DVE Sports. I'm Mike Pursuta for DVE Sports, brought to you this hour by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Penguins were staring at a potential 3-1 series deficit when Game 4 of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Capitals commenced last night. The Penguins responded accordingly on the way to a 3-1 series evening victory. Here's Evgeny Malkin. We like play Game 7 tonight, like for sure, like an uh, unbelievable like everyone. Unbelievable like everyone. That about sums it up. If they like play like game seven, like it's gonna be like not like go to game seven. But boy, how many times can you do that? Can you do it two more times? Well you have to do it two more times. <laughs> Why not the next two? Fascinating series so far. Uh we talked a little bit last hour about the the, the Statistics being almost completely even. Shots were 24-21 pens. Faceoffs were 50-50. Attempts were 52-48 to pens. Both teams blocked 13 shots. But the only real uh, statistical edge, the Caps had 43 hits to the pens, 25. But pens are usually on the receiving end because they usually have the puck more when they're playing well. And uh, I thought that was uh, the case last night. Not that they dominated by any stretch. In fact, they might... Still be playing had it not come <laughs> down to a goal late in the second period that wasn't even called a goal on the ice. The Penguins on the power play of Getty Malkin hits the post, and then all hell breaks loose in Braden <laughs> Holpe's crease. And there's bodies everywhere and guys face down on the ice and guys jabbing and battling and reaching and wrestling and uh, mayhem ensued, and the Penguins eventually got credit for a goal, although... If getting Malkin wasn't too sure, he was going to be credited with a goal. He tell me he has looked like a replay in a bench, and he tell me like it should be a goal because like he's trusted with like a red line. I'm not a watch. I'm just a wait. You know what's uh, what's uh, referee say? But when he say goalie, goal, good goal, but it's they take challenge. You know, <laughs> I'm a little worried. Like, yeah, it's longer, and I'm a little bit worried, like about like a uh, horny slash. You know, but it's I, I, and again, like it's like sometimes it's like uh, 
they give us good goal like and uh, we take it it's like it's not great goal but it's garbage goal for me but I understand like sometimes it's like uh, give me good confidence <laughs> he said that a couple times he said it wasn't pretty he said it was a garbage goal I thought I thought the effort was breathtaking that he would hit the post and then see the puck and just dive Keep dive going. stick first face right. first yeah, that was incredible to me he uh, Johnny hustled that thing yeah that was beautiful wasn't it yeah He's a perfectionist, I guess. He, you know, he knows what he can do with dangling. He likes shooting. to dangle. Yeah, yeah. Um, he'd rather put. He'd rather top shelf it with the backhand. He mentioned that uh, Sidney Crosby told him it was a goal. Uh, Crosby came to that conclusion, but not until he got a good look at a replay. Not until I saw it on the, you know, on the screen up there. I, you know, I didn't have a great angle. I was kind of behind Holby, so uh, when I saw the replay on the screen, it looked it looked pretty good from from there. So uh, I was fairly confident once I saw that. But live or shortly after, I it didn't look like it from where I was, just because his his arm was kind of blocking my view. Malkin said he was a little worried when they did that second review. I wonder what the crowd was thinking. Because it was it was interesting when the when the replay started coming up on the big board, there was one that looked pretty conclusive and the place went crazy mm-hmm. and everybody's cheering. They hadn't called anything yet. Then they called a goal and the place went crazy and then they said, "Wait a minute, <laughs> might not be a goal." So they go back and look at it again. Um, stop playing with our emotions. I put the stopwatch on it when uh, I got home last night and it actually didn't take as long as I thought it did. From the time of the whistle ending play on the you know the initial Scrum. assault of the yeah. net which there was a no goal call it was a dead puck right it took 2 minutes and 29 seconds till they signaled goal oh that's it then it um after the second review the the total time was uh, 5 minutes and 24 seconds felt like an hour it felt like a long time but uh it worked out well for the penguins Barry Trotz uh, knew he was kind of throwing something at the wall and hoping it would stick when he huh. called for that goaltender review, but he thought it was worth the effort. Hornquist came in. Um, I would say the shot came in and drove the pad, and we didn't feel that uh, that Orpik had pushed him in. He was actually grabbing him and at, at the end, but he had uh, forced that, that situation, uh, pushing <laughs> pushing the pad, not allowing. Uh, most goaltenders have, a, have the ability once they, you know, Get a, get their edges down, and they can move to any other puck. He wasn't able to do that. That's that's where we felt. I know it wasn't it wasn't much, but it was still. Uh, Hornquist wasn't driven in there. He was skating in, uh, full bore, and then uh, Orpic. I I felt anyways, or our staff did. We do it as a group decision. Uh, felt that uh, Orpic didn't push him in. He was actually, uh, you know, he was already in there when they made contact. So that's that's how we viewed it. And those are so iffy sometimes. But we felt that it was the right time because of the fact that uh, they taken, you know, they got a little momentum in the building. I thought we had a really good second period, uh, but we didn't get, you know, another puck behind uh, behind Murray. I think Trot should maybe look into LASIK in the off season because that's the second thing he's really gotten wrong: shoulder to shoulder hit. Why well, he was he was lying? Yeah, he, lying is a strong word. He was trying to stick up for his guy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't begrudge him that. I, I think he was. Orpik helped Hornquist into Holtby. He helped him a lot. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, he does make a good point about those things are so iffy sometimes. And, sure. And think about that for a minute. That's what the series might ultimately come down to: an iffy call. 
Mm. Was a goal scored or was it not? What do you say? Pens are batting 500 on those now? <laughs> yeah, that was the equalizer. It's crazy, though. I mean, that's what it could come down to. Because they're going at it so hard. Both of those teams really sold out last night. And I, I, I kind of go back to this every year, but it, it always makes an impression that Malkin called last night a Game 7-like game in terms of the effort and the intensity. It, it felt like that uh, yeah, at the did. arena. Probably did watching, right? For sure. That's the fourth game of the second round. What's it going to be like in the fourth game of the fourth round if they get there? I got to tell you, too, watching that game on TV, Doc does this, uh, Mike Lang does this. They have a way of matching the tempo of the game with their tone. And he had me, just his voice stirred this anxiousness in me where I'm like, he's, he's as the level of play rises, his voice is rising. And it is, that's you know, the great, intensity, that's yeah. what the great ones do. Mike Lang's really good at that, <laughs> too. It, yeah, they, their inflection tells you whether it's a dangerous situation or not. It just intensifies the experience so much watching it. It's almost like they're saying, hey, pay attention. They might right. score here. <laughs> you, know? you can't look away. Like, yeah. I put my phone down, and, I mean, that, that third period felt like a 20-minute kill. And it kind of was. But uh, that's the thing. I love that stuff, that the protecting of a one-goal lead in the third period. When good hockey. You win the game because you don't have to score anymore. You just tell them they're not scoring. That's it. You're done. It's over. And they, they didn't – three shots. They didn't have any great looks, did they? I don't think so. No. Nothing really threatening, right? It nope. just just kind of strangled that game to death. Uh, game five is Saturday in Washington. Here's uh, a number to keep in mind. When a best-of-seven series is tied at two games apiece – the winner of Game Five has an all-time record of two hundred and two and fifty-four in the series. Mm. Game Five winner, when it's two-two, wins the series seventy-eight point nine percent of the time. Stan sat here yesterday and said, "Whoever wins this game tonight is going to win the series." Doc and, said and the same thing yesterday. I, I agreed with him. Game Four, you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's. I think it'll be decided in Game Five. I agree with that stat. Mm-hmm. I think is, it was easy for those guys to buy in and play defensively in front of Murray since he had come out and said he had basically admitted, hey, I, I, I felt a little shaky, shaky in the last yeah. game. That's a bad word for a goalie. Mm-hmm. But the guy, the, I mean, that kid's so mature and so self-aware that he can have that kind of critical assessment of himself and not yeah. be beating himself up in the next game. Can the Penguins do that again? Because I think I think this Capitals team is going to demand from the Penguins the best the Pens have. I don't think they're going. Oh to, yeah. I don't That's think they're going to go away. And I, I think they're pretty resilient. They've shown me that already. Uh, a lot of people are saying, "Hey, they're going to have to win the series before we say they're different." And I, that's a valid point. But even last night, it was highly competitive. It could have easily gone the other way. Yep. I, well, I, you read those stats last. Was that last hour? I'm really. Um, but how? Even, that, I did it both hours. Yeah. But, about how evenly matched. Yeah. They were. I mean, the face-offs are 50-50. Shot attempts, which I think is usually a pretty good indicator of mm-hmm. where the game is played, who has the puck, and who's threatening. 52 for the Pens, 48 for the Caps over 60 minutes. That's There's no ice out there. I mean, it's 
And there's traffic between the shooters and the net. I mean, guys are blocking shots all over the place. They both have good transition games, but both teams are also really killing themselves to get back and defend. And uh, that's it's making for some really compelling hockey. Uh, two to one, Predators over the Jets last night. That series is also tied at two games apiece tonight. It's uh, the Lightning at the Bruins. Tampa's up two games to one. And the Sharks at the Golden Knights. That series is tied at two games apiece. Pirates lost again to the Nationals 3-1 to yesterday afternoon. Uh, hard luck loss for the Pirates. Uh, four Pirates pitchers only gave up four hits. Unfortunately, Trevor Williams, two of the hits he allowed, left the yard in a 3-1 sixth inning for the Nats. Pirates fall to 17-15. and They are in Milwaukee tonight. Nick Kingham gets his second major league start. His first one was pretty good. <laughs> Six and two-thirds of a perfect game. Seven shutout innings. See if he can dial that up again tonight. Sounds good. Waiter, I'll have the same. Thanks, Mike. Molly Alphabet coming up in the Point Park University stage in the Permanis DVE Coffeehouse. It's a DVE morning show. When you do... When you take on an acting role, that's not just... Well, I'm just going to say somebody else's words. You're you're into the craft. Yeah, but I, I stink at it. I mean, compared to like, I can do like what I would do in that situation. You know what I mean? Like, that's I, why you were great like, on crashing. By like, the way, I mean that was oh, when that I was, was playing myself. Yeah, I was incredible. Yeah, the amount of research I did. <laughs> right. No, but like I'm, method acting. Joe DeRosa told me one time he was watching mm-hmm. uh, this John Travolta talking about all the roles he did, and he was like, "Well, Vinny Barbarino walked like this. Vincent Vega walked like this. Get Shorty like that." He's like, "Dude, he does the walks," and I never thought to do that. Anybody I've ever played walked exactly the way I walked. <laughs> yeah. And half the time I do something, they always got to write a backstory. Yeah, he, he spent four years in college in Boston to try to cover for my accent. I am like is on the opposite spectrum of Daniel Day-Lewis, like where he'll be like Abraham Lincoln. Can you imagine his wife? I think that's why we retired. His wife having to put up with him discovering that Lincoln had sort of a high-pitched voice and she has to listen to that for a year oh, yeah. as he's walking around in some stupid giant top hat. Hey, uh, yeah, you ready to go to the yeah. theater? You have to take a little bit of time. And, and, and they, no, they have, like, arguments. Yeah. And he's wearing the hat going, yeah, you like the house? You like, you like the lifestyle? This is what you got to go through. But also with, like, some 1800s vibe in there. I'm the real splitter, baby, okay? Yeah. All right? Don't call me that for nothing. That happened four score and seven years ago. Meanwhile, that probably didn't help her with her schizophrenia or whatever she had. She was like insane. Oh God, I don't want to talk about his wife like that. I have no. I'm just making. I'm, I'm, trust me, trashing no, you, me. You're talking about you're talking Lincoln's wife. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to play her in the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be award winning right there. Yeah, he married him for 25 years just to do research so he could get it down. <laughs> It is 70 degrees at DVE. I'm Val Porter. Washington Redskins President Bruce Allen says a recent report about the team's treatment of cheerleaders is troubling. He issued a statement yesterday after the New York Times published a report detailing, among other things, a trip to Costa Rica in 2013 that involved the cheerleaders being topless. Allen says the team is investigating allegations made in the article, but he says conversations with various cheerleaders haven't produced the same conclusions as the article. He did warn of consequences for anybody who did something wrong, and he praised the cheerleaders for representing the team. Lead detectives in a high-profile serial killer case are hoping new genetic technology can help identify a suspect. 
Detectives on the case submitted envelopes from the Zodiac killer to a private <laughs> lab to obtain a DNA profile this week. The hope is that envelopes he licked years ago contain DNA that could be identified, much like how the Golden State Killer yeah. uh, was recently caught. The Zodiac Killer is responsible for at least five murders in California's Bay Area in the late 60s and 70s. So do you think that they're going to match it to Ted Cruz or who do you think it's <laughs> who do you think the Zodiac Killer is going to end up being? I don't know. Ted Cruz may. Is he looking a little nervous? Yeah. And he wants to follow in his father's footsteps because his dad was in on the assassination of jfk yes so he's got that murdering in his blood i think so he gets it honestly that's oh, by the way all this is this genetic like how far we've come just in terms of being able to test and create dna profiles online and mm -hmm. the way that two you know the way that they caught the golden state killer because that case had been cold for 40 years the two pivotal things in 1984 was basically the year that they had developed the first dna profile the a way to map your your dna mm -hmm. and in you know 90 something whenever the world wide web was established like those two things now anybody can upload anything and especially now with all the ancestry.com and the jed match and all these things when you're trying to find relatives a lot of people mm -hmm. are providing samples so if That's you're not crazy. in a criminal database you're still your dna is available online i'm sure my family like there's somebody in my family has done ancestry.com right but you don't have you don't have to provide your dna to be on ancestry right I think, I, think like, I, I thought you had to provide like your saliva option. Maybe I don't know. Oh, okay. No See, idea. I thought that they sent you a tube and then you you s spit into it, and then they create a digital profile. What? <laughs> she spit in it. I know. I, I I don't know why I was acting out the spitting. I was drooling as I was saying it. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to trace my DNA back to its origins, but not really to find out like my family lineage no. i just really want to have like a name to blame why i am the way i am on somebody <laughs> <laughs> like where did this insecurity start <laughs> let's go all the way back to old pappy crawford yeah i want to know where my skinny feet came from you know like i just want to be able to to uh blame somebody. trash that person right. by name it isn't my fault it's genetics <laughs> According to a new in-depth study conducted by WalletHub, the most fun state in America. Any guesses? Most fun. I mean, Vegas? Nope. That's not the state, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, California. I, Nevada. California is the most fun state. Uh, to rank the states, number crunchers looked at entertainment and recreation opportunities, as well as nightlife, accessibility to national parks, to casinos per capita, which Vegas would bump up uh, Nevada there. New York, Nevada, Florida, and Illinois did round out the top five. As for the least fun state... One of the Dakotas. Nope. Sorry, our neighbors, West Virginia. Bam, 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 bam. Pennsylvania ranked ninth overall. We were sixth in restaurants per capita, eighth in movie theaters per capita. These are all per capita. Seventh in golf courses and country clubs, eighth in amusement parks, sixth in performing arts theaters, seventh in fitness centers, 26th in casinos, and 29th in access to national parks. I always thought that California was amazing for the simple fact 
that you had the most diversity of atmosphere yes. of any other place. Yes. What do you want to what do you want to do? You want to be in a city? Okay, there's a there's a huge city. You want to be on the beach? There's the beach. You want to be in the mountains? There's the mountains. Desert. So if you want to hike, if you want to be in the desert, if you want to ski, I love California. It's it's beautiful. But then it doesn't rain for 7 months <laughs> right. and you can't water your plants. Um, and if you are planning to travel this summer, Orlando, still on top of AAA's annual list of top domestic summer travel destinations, AAA travel expert Julio Soto says the city knows how to attract people for a vacation. Honolulu ranked second, while Anchorage, <laughs> Alaska ranked third. How is Hawaii coming in second to Disney World? Well, a lot of kids, you know. Yeah. Seattle placed fourth, L.A. fifth. After that, there's Maui in Hawaii, Fairbanks in Alaska. Rome topped the list of international summer travel destinations, followed by Vancouver, Dublin, London, and Paris. Did you know that the, that the, the converted property of Disney World obviously was all swampland that they converted, but it was one of the, the largest private um, construction sites of all time? I mean, the engineering that went on behind it is crazy, but mm -hmm. the actual park size like the property is bigger than manhattan i would not be surprised it's it not it's its own city i mean it it is insane i'd love to see it from the sky mm -hmm. you know like a drone shot right well being watched despite what you might think actually improves your performance according to a new study people do perform better when they're being watched which contradicts the belief that the pressure of having an audience causes us to screw up more. Seems that when people know they're being watched, their social awareness and desire for reward increases, which lights up the parts of the brain that control motor skills. So while you might not like having people watch you, it ends up creating extra incentive and peak performance. We're not talking like peeping Tom here. We're talking <laughs> I don't like... think so. Like people evaluating you. I, I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> what they were okay. implying. Good. I don't know. When Huge I, difference. When I worked at Long John Silver's, I was really nervous when the regional manager came around. Oh, I bet. How often did that happen? Oh, I don't, like once a month maybe. And when he came in, was he? did he have a clipboard? Was he carrying it oh, around? Oh, yeah. Was yeah. he cracking the whip? Te taking temperatures. All kinds of stuff. What do you mean? Like, like of the fryer? Of the and fryer and the chowder and... Checking for cleanliness? Yeah, cleanliness, all that stuff. Oh yeah, I got very nervous. No, you're yeah, you're you're super tight when the <laughs> when the big boss is around. You're Always like, suggestive. Oh. Sell. Would you like a piece of lemon meringue pie with that today? Yeah. <laughs> Push all the all the stuff. <laughs> I was very excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else would you like? <laughs> How about some extra hush puppies? A peg leg? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did have a dinner called the peg leg dinner when I first started there. It's amazing. <laughs> Did you have to wear an eye patch or no? No, I didn't. But I did when we first started. It was a pirate-like uniform. Oh, I bet. It was, Parrot it was like, on the shoulder? There was like a skull cap that thing that you had to wear. <laughs> did they have to draw like an aftershadow beard on you? With a dangly earring like yeah, Barry Bonds? a big hoop. Ah. Uh. Well, it may not be a big deal in this day and age, but the mayor of Jersey City is admitting that at one time in his life, he smoked tons of weed. 
Mayor Stephen hmm. Fulop of New Jersey posted Twitter comments earlier this <laughs> week about an article accusing New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy of dodging the question of whether or not he had ever used recreational marijuana. Yeah. Fulop stood tall and defended Murphy, saying, hey, there's no need for politicians to avoid that issue anymore. He added he feels it's no big deal. And uh, he said that he used to enjoy smoking pot, although he did admit he didn't literally blaze through tons of it, but he did enjoy it. Only pounds. Only That's, pounds. You know, it's <laughs> sensible. A survey of more than 700,000 pet names reveals some rather strange names, which I, I do always kind of enjoy these. Nationwide Pet Insurance put the names to a public vote. Their survey says, Isabella Miss Worldwide Boo. <laughs> is voted the wackiest name for a dog, narrowly uh, narrowly edging out Franklin Wolfsevelt for the title. <laughs> Pablo Percasso made it <laughs> to the top of the feline list, followed by Sir Pouncelot. Other creative names uh, in the top ten include Ruffy the Vampire Slayer, Vladimir Putin, <laughs> Mupocalypse Yarn Killer. <laughs> And uh, Edward Scissorpaws. But you're not calling that dog by that full name. No, that's their show name, I'm sure. <laughs> like, I remember my brother rescued a dog. He lived out in uh, Big Sky, Montana. And he rescued a dog out there and then got kicked out of his place and brought the dog home. And because you weren't <laughs> allowed to have pets on the property. Oh. And her name was Cool Breeze of Montana. But we just called her Breeze. Oh, okay. Called her not Breezy. Montana. No. Never called her by her full name. Our dogs just have one name. Nothing, as a group? Nothing creative. Oh, I thought it's you meant you, you named your dog, dog as a group. Come here. <laughs> uh, last month's 33rd annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony will air tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Guessing lots of people in Pittsburgh anyway will be watching the repeat It'll be on HBO. It was held April 14th in Cleveland. The class of 2018 is made up of the Moody Blues, Dire Straits, The Cars, Nina Simone, Sister Rosetta Tharp, and Bon Jovi. And it clocks in at four and a half hours, but the ceremony has been edited down to two hours and 53 minutes for the telecast. The entire Bon Jovi segment alone was over an hour. Come on. So they cut that way down. Uh, John's 20-minute speech has been trimmed to less than 10 minutes. Also cut was a song from uh, each from the Moody Blues, the Cars, and Bon Jovi. No All-Star Jam at the end of the night this year. Here is the Rock Hall president, uh, Joel Parisman, on why that is not happening. This year when people got together for rehearsals, we didn't have the time where a lot of the bands are there for rehearsals at the same time, and they could all chat together and say, hey, let's try to pull this off at the end. So that will be tomorrow night on HBO, and... Rico Kasich and Paulina Porzkova splitting up after 28 years of marriage, I think it was. No. So she, I guess she got him through the Rock Hall induction, and she was like, I'm out of here. All right. I have saw you into the fame. Now we're done. <laughs> Give me half your money. George Harrison's first electric guitar is said to be sold at auction, according to Julian's Auctions. The late Beatle played the Hofner Club 40 model when the Beatles first performed around Liverpool as the Quarrymen. Harrison later donated the instrument to a band competition in 1965, and the widow of the band member who won it 
is now putting it up for auction. It'll take place at New York's Hard Rock Cafe May 19th. The guitar is expected to sell for as high as $300,000. And thousands of pieces from Hollywood blockbusters will be hitting the auction block. The Icons and Legends of Hollywood auction will be held in June in Calabasas. It has over 2,000 <laughs> items going up for sale. Some of the things include props used by James Dean, the Harley Fat Boy used in Terminator 2, and a chariot used by Charlton Heston in the 1959 film Ben-Hur. There's also a dress worn by Elizabeth Taylor, a lightsaber used in Star Wars, and a 46-inch tall model of the Death Star used in Return of the Jedi. Oh, that's going to be awesome. And finally, Smallville actress Allison Mack is due in Brooklyn Federal Court later today on sex trafficking charges. She's accused of being a leader of the upstate New York cult called Nexium, which in which young women were reportedly starved, branded, and forced to have sex with the group's founder. It's believed she is trying to work out a plea deal with prosecutors in exchange for evidence against Keith Rainier. He founded Nexium 20 years ago in Albany, eventually establishing chapters all across the U.S. and Canada. Forecast today, expect some rain, uh, maybe even a thunderstorm this afternoon. Temperatures in the mid-70s. It is 70 now at DVE. I'm Val Porter with Bill Crawford. Randy's on vacation. Mike Pursuta has sports coming up at the bottom of the hour. But joining us now on the Point Park University stage in the Permanis DVE Coffee House is Molly Alphabet. Good morning. Morning, Val. How are you? Great. How are you guys doing? Good. Happy to be here. Awesome. Hey, you got a, a cool gig coming up this Thursday at the Hard Rock. Correct. Yeah, Women Who Rock. Yeah, and it's hosted by DVE's own Michelle Michaels. Very nice. Yeah, it's a cool event. It's dedicated to empowering women in music through educational workshops, performance opportunities, and networking event uh, events. This year's event includes musical performances by Molly Alphabet, Korea duo Lindsay Smith, and a special VIP experience with Sheila E. Woohoo! Whoa! <laughs> That is pretty cool. Yeah. The 2018 Women Who Rock Award recipient will be Kelly Fry of WTAE. And if you want tickets for that, you can get them at womenwhorockpgh.com. So we got Molly Alphabet, Chet Vincent, Trish Imbrogno. Did I say that right? Close. Yes. <laughs> Close. What is it? Imbrogno. Okay. Imbrogno. Like, uh, <laughs> like lasagna, she says. <laughs> <laughs> Teal Fitzpatrick, Josh Carter, Daniel Dickinson, and uh, what are you going to play for us this morning? This is a new original tune. It's called Mother's Temperament. Very cool. It's Molly Alphabet on the Point Park University stage in the Permanis DBE Coffee House. <laughs> i 
Sports. Mike, I just found a note, something I wanted to ask you about, and it's 9.30, and I just now remembered it. Okay. Nicholas Backstrom saying, F this league. They're pissed about the Wilson situation. F them. But he then said, well, it's because we lost, which I think he realized that if he goes too far, he might get in a little bit of trouble. He might might get an envelope from the league. Well, at this point, I think they have a hard enough time dealing with what happens on the ice during the games. I don't think they're too concerned about what people say after the games. But yeah, the Caps, uh, this is a point we tried to emphasize in the wake of the Wilson suspension. It's To the Penguins fans, it's justice. To the Capitals, it's a huge part of their lineup yanked out at a critical time. Well, tell them to not be an idiot. Right. Get him under control. I'm not saying it shouldn't have happened. I'm just saying this guy does a whole lot more than than deliver dirty dirty hits. hits. Yeah, he's not George LaRocque. I mean, he's not out there, you know, a goon that can't skate or has no skill. And, uh... Caps are 0 for 1 without them after the Pens 3 1 victory last night. Sports this hour brought to you by Caseta by Lutron. Smart lighting controls. In game three of the Eastern Conference semifinals, the Caps' Alex Ovechkin scored what proved to be the decisive goal, which is 67 seconds left in regulation. Last night, Ovechkin didn't score a goal for the first time in the series. And he didn't get a shot on goal for the first time in 76 career games against the Penguins. That according to wow. Penn statistician uh, historian Bob Grove. It was uh, an atypical development to say the least, but Caps head coach Barry Trotz wasn't sweating it. I don't know if they've done anything differently. Uh, trust me, Ovi will get his shots. Capitals uh, frustrated uh by Wilson's absence and by their 3-1 loss that even the series at two games apiece last night. But uh, much as, much as had been the case with the Penguins after games two and three, Washington uh, talked about uh, having a lot to like other than the final result. Here's Barry Trotz on that. There was a lot uh, that I liked in our game. I, I, I mean, we were a puck away from being the lead or a puck away from getting it tied up and I thought we did a lot of good things, and I, I, I'll look at the game, and um, you know, I, I think the one thing that is very common with our group is that they're resilient, they're confident, and uh, we said we wanted to come here and, uh, you know, least at, at minimum get this thing to the best of three. Well, we've done that, and that's kind of what the Penguins were saying after game two. Well, we got the road split, mm-hmm. we got home ice back, did a lot of good things, blah blah. Um, I don't think anybody's taking control of this thing. I think somebody's going to win it, but it uh, these games are going to reset and uh, they're going to be their own entities and they are going to be struggles. Uh, it's it's really starting to get more intense and more difficult. Yep. And uh, it was just breathtaking to watch last night. I don't care if there's a controversial call that goes our way. I don't care if they have an excuse because one of their top-line players is suspended. I don't care how this thing ends. I just want it to end with them going golfing. Eliminated. Nor should you care about any of that. It's it's about the end game. Yep. It's not the journey. It's the destination. Any means necessary, right? Both teams are going to play it that way. I don't care what Oshie has to say. I don't care what Backstrom has to say. I don't care what Trotz has to say. 
How about Sullivan? I care. I really don't care what Sully said. Oh, uh, we do. Barry Trotz uh, didn't think that uh, Wilson's absence was uh, a major stumbling block for his team. He talked about uh, liking what Devontae Smith-Pelly did on that line, and uh, you would expect him to say nothing less. He's not going to come out after a loss and say, boy, we really missed that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Going to have to figure something out the next two nights or it's over. I think we're done. Yeah. Uh, Here's Crystal Tang talking about uh, not having to worry about old number 43. I mean, uh, they, they they replace him with a player that brings a lot of energy, a lot of speed also with Smith Pelly. So um, I think guys uh, did a good job of blocking shots, um, becoming it defensively. So I think it made it harder um, on on their forward. But uh, as if, if Wilson, obviously, is a big body, he creates a lot for them, big forecheck, his presence is always felt. His presence is always felt. Well, not for the next two games, not last night. Meanwhile, uh the uh, ebb and flow of the Eastern Conference semifinal included not just Wilson leaving the Capitals lineup, but Carl Hagelin returning to the Penguins lineup. And not just returning, but being reunited with Evgeny Malkin and Patrick Hornquist. You know, when you look at the stretch that Gino went through, you know, probably a two, two and a half month stretch in the regular season, when he was filling the net, for the most part, he was playing with Haggy and Horny. And, uh, and, and so those two guys, I think, I think they forced Gino to play more of a straight-ahead game. They challenged him to shoot the puck more because Horny's a guy that goes to the net. He wants the puck on the net, so he's, he's constantly on him to shoot the puck. And, and so I think we think that, um, you know, that his presence on that line helps Gino play the, the type of game that, that he needs to play in the playoffs to have success. I thought Gino's line for the for a lot of the game was was good. I thought they were, I thought they had offensive zone time. I thought they were on the puck. I thought they, you know, they were. Uh, the other thing they that it does for us, it creates more balance uh, as far as a two-way line. It's Haggy and and Horny are both really conscientious 200-foot players, and I think that uh, that helps Gino's overall balance of his line as well. Yeah, that's. Read between the lines. That's not that difficult to do. Haglin and Hornquist are really conscientious 200-foot players. That balances for the other guy who I guess we could surmise is not based on that, right? He's really good 100 feet. I think he's a 100-foot player. He, no. was, he, was he was amazing back. late, he was this, late in the second period. Yeah. He And, and yeah, he, he does at times really apply himself in the defensive end, and he's pretty good when he does. Uh, so, so there's uh, the dynamic of it as it unfolds here. Uh, the Capitals lose Wilson. The Penguins get Haglin back. And oh, this just in, the Pens have had Sidney Crosby all along. I just think he's the best player in the game. He's the best player in the game. He elevates. He, he plays his best when the stakes are high. Uh, you know, he plays at both ends of the rink. We rely on him to defend as much as we rely on him to score goals and create offense. And uh, and he's really good at both, so it doesn't surprise me. He's done it in, since I've been his coach. That's been my experience with him. Uh, I just have so much respect for uh, the type of person he is, the type of player that he is, uh, the care factor he has for the team and winning, and uh, and and so. He always elevates his game and whatever our team needs. If we need a center iceman to take a face off, 
and defend you know and defend a, a one goal game when it's when it's a six on five situation he's the guy you know if if we need a goal and there's a face off in the offensive zone he's the guy you know that's the player that he is for us and that's what uh, the caps are going to have to find a way to deal with crosby uh, two assists last night uh, Jake Gensel with a couple more goals. He is just scoring goals at an <laughs> historic rate. Go, kid. Both in terms of the Pens franchise and uh, the history of the National Hockey League. Game 5, Saturday night in D.C. Game 6, the NHL announced yesterday, will be at 7 o'clock Monday here at PPG Paints Arena. Can you play and- some more Geno sound? Because I could listen to Geno talk I want hear him a little all bit more. day long. Well, I, want, I want to repeat one more time that uh, – when best of seven series are tied at two games apiece, the team that wins game five goes on to ultimately win the series 78.9% of the time. The all-time record mm. for the game five winner in a seven-game series is 202-54. and 54. A lot laying on that, lying, laying on that game. It's got to, like, you know, like play like game seven, you know. Saturday's going to be an awesome day. Can you, at the end of the season, put uh, together a, a string of the best, Gino? For you, Val, absolutely. A I'm super busy. Cut. He's talking to me like I'm like busy. And that came against this team. Remember the last time we played them in the regular season? when That's right. It was Kuznetsov. Yeah, he was tangled like, up with o- Oshi and uh, <laughs> Kuznetsov started talking to him. Like, I don't know what he wants to talk to me. I'm like busy, you know? Like game seven. That's what it felt like. Cap seemed a little frustrated after that game, or at yeah, the end but of they'll, the game. they'll shake it off. They'll uh, they'll play well Saturday. I'm uh, sure they will. I suspect. I don't. I don't think. It, uh, yeah, they're not going to crumble. Old Capitals teams. I think it was fifty fifty whether they'd crumble or not. But uh, but I'm telling you, they're having a hard time letting go of this Tom Wilson thing because yeah. in the back of their mind, that's the excuse. That's why we lost. We were going to beat the Penguins, and then they had to whine about it and get our players suspended. I mean, He's known for that stuff. Uh, what did Borky say when he was here on Wednesday? He was suspended in the preseason for yes. two games and yep. four seasons during the regular season. Yeah, four games. Or four four games. Four during seasons the would be a profoundly <laughs> that's punitive. quite a punishment. Yeah. <laughs> He's doing life in jail right now. Yeah. Hey, Tom, the day before you ultimately die, you can play one more game. Well, I mean, the th- but the thing is, it's like, it, the Penguins didn't suspend him. The league did. No, and their whining didn't get it done either. Uh, I mean, he broke a guy's jaw and concussed him on a the night after he knocked another player out of the game. Yeah. Which was deemed a legal hit. Okay. So? Yeah. But they said but the, the league said that the cumulative effect, the repeat offender, came into play. It comes into play in the length of the suspension. Okay. It doesn't come into play whether or not he's going to be suspended. And it still that amazes it's, it's me. It's the discipline, the severity of it, not whether or not it's going to happen. That's the repeat offender stuff. Mm-hmm. The referees don't issue a penalty. Yeah, that was, uh, well, you know, we've all watched hockey to call for a long it. time. Does anybody go into a game, you know, you go to the arena and you get your ticket. They're going to get, get everyone you right. You get your beer and your nachos and you sit down and you say, boy, this is going to be a really well-refereed game tonight. <laughs> I can just, you know. No. Nobody says that. So you live with that stuff, right? I mean, that's... Have to. You, I need... got, you have no choice. You, you, you respond to it. You work around it. You overcome it. 
Uh, you don't put yourself in a situation where that can decide it. You know, a, a good example of, of what I'm talking about here is the two-on-one goal that Ovechkin scored in Game 3. Wilson, Slewfoot, and Mata. And there was no call. At the end of the game, yeah. But if Mata doesn't make a stupid pass to begin with, then that doesn't come into play. So there's culpability. You just have to recognize it and acknowledge it. Right. No calls happen both ways. If you're going to count on a call, you're you're pushing your luck. I really hope Mark Madden goes after Britt McHenry some more today. That will be fun to watch. I think he will. She was uh, vocally on Twitter yeah, I saying, guess she's a oh, Caps fan. Why does anybody care? You're the Penguins. You whined, and you finally won a game because of it. Is she employed? She's uh, she's like a guest contributor on Fox News. Oh, really? Yeah. Which she did sports before, didn't she? Was yeah. She, was she on ESPN? Yeah, she was on ESPN <laughs> until she... That's giving her a lot of credit, Val. Until yeah. she trashed some, uh, some clerk Parking at an Enterprise or yeah. something. <laughs> Um, we are going to end the show this morning with Molly Alphabet uh, in the coffee house. So uh, stick around. That's coming up next. It's the DVE Morning Show. Until 1030 a.m. It's the DVE Morning Show. Going to close out the show today and the week with another performance from the Point Park University stage in the Primanti's DVE coffee house. Molly Alphabet joining us today. And you're playing tonight on the Gateway Clipper, too. Yeah, tonight's the Bastard Beard Irishman's album release down there on the Clipper. Yes. It's going to be a party. That <laughs> will definitely be a party. Like the SS Minnow. I don't know. <laughs> like Look out. Titanic. Watch the news tomorrow. <laughs> Molly Alphabet, what's your, what's, uh, what song are you going to play for us now? So we're going to play a, a new song of ours. It's called Just a Prop. And then, yeah, we're playing next Thursday at Women Who Rock at the Hard Rock Cafe, which benefits McGee Women's Research Institute. Yeah, they're going to raise funds for women's and infants' health research at McGee, and uh, it all empowers women in music through educational workshops, performance opportunities, and networking events, Women Who Rock, Thursday at the Hard Rock, and Michelle Michaels is hosting that event as well. You can get tickets at womenwhorockpgh.com. All right, take it away. Molly Alphabet in the DVE Coffeehouse. my better mind think I'm gonna get in line and go downtown you know where to find me there I stand in the corner with my friends everybody knows their lines we've done this a thousand times what's one more tonight's the night we get it right finally find out how the whole thing Tonight I am not drinking, baby, don't you know this beer is just a prop Prop me up in the corner with my arm upon the jukebox, let it run Tonight I am not drinking, baby, don't you know this beer is just a prop Just one more if you're buying, then we'll try and run the whole thing from the top Call out the dancing bears Go ahead and move the chairs Places now Cue the fight between the guys I used to think I'd like to take me home 
to blow looks more like a dance you know it all too well looks nothing like the movies yeah but don't you know we're trying hard as hell tonight i am not drinking baby don't you know this beer is just a prop prop me up in the corner with my arm upon the jukebox let it rock Tonight I am not drinking, baby, don't you know this beer is just a prop. Just one more, if you're buying, then we'll try and run the whole thing from the top. new songs yeah those are both new original uh, original tunes we're working on recording our first full-length album very cool any expectation on one that's going to come out maybe spring next spring cool <laughs> well we'll look forward to hearing it so we're going to uh, start promoting that now <laughs> molly alphabet on the gateway clipper tonight with the bastard bearded irishman for their cd release party and this thursday may 10th at the hard rock for the Women Who Rock benefit, and that, again, benefits Women's Health Month, and uh, they raise money for McGee Women's Research Institute. Get your tickets at womenwhorockpgh.com. Thanks so much for being with us today. It was awesome. Thanks for having us. Josh Getzoff, thanks to him as well from the Penguins Radio Network for joining us this morning. Game number five, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Penguins and Capitals in Washington, D.C., and that's the the pivotal game. It's going to be like uh, game seven, you know, <laughs> <laughs> according to the statistics that's it get busy let's go pants anybody got anything nope nope randy's off monday so it'll be the three of us we'll be talking about tomorrow night's game michelle michaels is up next she's got the electrical lunch at noon here on dve i'm finished you stay classy pittsburgh don't touch your face i got him dead pittsburgh all day baby for now you guys call me ronald would you not eat my pants ronald ah! mm-hmm.